0: Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Tim, also known online as Shmi150. Bought my first Ferrari and Porsche, McLaren 675LT, all in a 12-day period. 12 kind days. Of, yeah,
1: it was kind of full-on.
0: For all of you car enthusiasts, he needs no introduction, but for anybody unfamiliar, he has one of the most incredible car collections valued at over $10 million. His YouTube channel features some of the most insane automobiles on the planet, and he started all of this from the humble beginnings of working a normal nine-to-five office job out of college. Today, we're going to be breaking down the cost of owning an exotic car collection, how you could get an exotic car collection as well, and also how you could subscribe if you haven't done that already. But first, we got to thank our sponsor Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound is the best tool for creators to soundtrack their content. We've been using Epidemic Sound for years now, and even though I started pretty early on using some soundtracks in the background of my videos, I wish I had started sooner. The thing is, anytime you're using sounds or background music in any of your videos, you always have to fear getting copyright striked or having your video demolished. The other struggle that I had is that most of the free copyright music is just absolutely terrible and it takes you forever to search through all the bad ones to find like the three that work. Not to mention, there's no guarantee that it's actually copyright-free.
2: And when it comes to viewer retention, a good backtrack is crucial. And somehow Epidemic managed not to just have a few, but thousands of copyright-free
0: sounds and songs, and most importantly, they're really good. Epidemic's library offers over 35,000 tracks and 90,000 sound effects, so you'll always have options. are professionally produced by a diverse collection of artists and exclusive to Epidemic Sound, so you can't get them anywhere else.
2: So click the link down below so you don't miss out on this amazing deal and also
0: you get access to Epidemic's incredible music catalog. Again, the link is down below in the description to get started today and now with that said, let's get let's, back to the podcast. We're not getting back to it, let's get to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Iced Coffee Hour. Hi guys, I'm Shmi. Thank you so much for making it all the way over to Las Vegas. Absolute pleasure. It's great really Yeah, thank you. And you pulled up in a crazy car you got to see this car jack it's an amg gt black series see Do you know that's what that a
2: means? lot of that's a lot of abbreviations for me <laughs> that's like two too too many abbreviations could, could you
1: explain to jack the significance of this car how so many did they make the amg gt is kind of their super grand torah supercar you could say the gt black series is like the flagship track version. So it's the one that set the record at the Nürburgring, which is often considered to be the most hardcore racetrack in the world. And it's not a car that most people would take on a massive tour around the United States, but we're doing it. So what are you doing? Where's the starting? What prompted that? So I've always had fun. I actually brought my Ford GT, my new Ford GT over here to the US back in 2019. And I had plans to do another tour in 2020. And it was so much fun to explore to go to so many places to meet so many people to shoot so many videos the audience was loving it i was loving it and i always wanted to do it again but this time we've gone we've gone kind of completely full-on um so we started in new york went up towards the northeast um back when it was with all the foliage it was unbelievably pretty we crossed over to toronto and canada drove all the way over here we were actually here quite recently uh for the sema show Mm -hmm. and then this is kind of part two we're now going to california and over towards that side, and then we'll make our way all the way back across down to Florida, and then we'll go up the East Coast at the end. So it's a big old tour.
2: So what's the purpose of the tour? Are you just going around meeting a bunch
1: of different YouTubers, making content and whatnot? I mean, so the, the tagline behind my channel, on 50 is living the supercar dream. The idea has always been to create content, which is sharing what I feel exceptionally lucky to do, but what I think any car enthusiast would do if they can. You know the dream journey the dream road trip so we go to racetracks we go to car collections we go for test drives we go and meet people and it's fun to just share that passion that so many people have that speaks through backgrounds genres whatever it is everybody who loves cars loves cars you talk a language with that person so it's basically sharing that almost through daily updates, daily
0: videos as we're on the road. Is it ever nerve-wracking to put so many miles on a million dollar car. I mean driving the The cars car worth a million dollars. <laughs> well, the 4GT is The 4GT is, yeah. is absolutely. Probably maybe maybe more depending Wait, on why the Why is your 4GT uh, worth a million and his is Is do you have the so new So mine's, mine's a new 4GT, oh, the new, new
1: one. one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the new I've done about 8,000 miles in my 4GT which has been all around Europe, everywhere. I've taken it, I think, on 11 or 12 different racetracks now. I love to drive on track. Yeah. Um, but I believe these cars are made to be driven. They're made to be used. They're, they're, <laughs> there are two different perspectives. I he doesn't want to use that. I know, we, we, have that. we can have that <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but I think there are two completely different avenues, right? There's either the investment side, mm-hmm. and you know, in recent years, cars as an investment asset have been astronomical, um, especially kind of limited edition, last of the old school, that kind of thing, or even first of the new school, first of the new era. I take completely the opposite idea, which is that, and I'm very lucky that I do this as my job, as my business, right, making videos, it's what grows my, my channel, is to use them to the fullest. There's no point in kind of using a car just a little bit because you just touch on the surface of what it's like. If you go completely in the mindset of I'm not worrying, not not in the sense that I want to destroy it, but I'm not mm-hmm. worrying on what I'm gonna sell this car for because I plan on keeping it. You can then go into it and say, I'm gonna drive it. I'm gonna do this with it
0: because you're not worrying in the same way. Yeah. Now, does some of that though have to do with the fact that you buy a lot of these cars at MSRP? Do it you? works very yeah. differently in okay. Europe.
1: So the MSRP system here, and especially in the United States at the moment, the premiums that dealer markups have been going for, we have the RRP and a dealer can't charge you over that. So in a normal world, rewind three years, if you walked in to buy a fairly normal BMW model, you would be discussing a £5,000, £10,000 discount on the retail price rather than not adding the premium, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So. An authorized dealer can't charge you over RRP. It's still difficult to get an allocation, though. Sure. And it might be that they want you to buy more of the regular cars if you want to get the really special one, that kind of thing. Okay. But it's not that they can say, hey, if you want a GT Black Series, pay $250,000 over, which I think they were running for here
2: right so to understand an allocation because i hear this all the time in like the watch world as well as the the fancy car world does that mean that you have to have basically a relationship with the dealer right like if you want to go to get a nice watch you have to buy a bunch of other rolexes and stuff like that and like show them off and (laughs) get to (laughs) know the salesperson is it the same with fancy cars like that
1: it's exactly how it works every brand is different though like if you take Ferrari, for example, they actually have behind the scenes this point system where they allocate points to you, which you get for, let's say, how many cars you've bought, which of their events you've attended, their track events or their road trip events for going to their different gala dinners, for going on their you know internal Ferrari rallies or whatever it might be. So you get a point system. So if you want the latest and greatest, you need to have whatever X is for that particular car in your system. Porsche, a little bit more hard to read between the lines exactly what it is because they don't do it like that. It's more on a dealer level, but it's similar to what you just said. It's about having that relationship. So if you're a customer who's who wants to buy a new GT3 RS that's just launched, you know, the latest hot Porsche, you probably need to have a Taycan, a KN, some regular 911s and have bought a few cars in the last year or two.
2: That's interesting. Wow. So what about like the lower level Porsches or like the lower level Ferraris? This is only for like the super fancy luxury cars that they produce or is this like can you go in and just
1: buy a a 911 like a base model well in the current world not really the order queue is so long that it's not realistic the an interesting one is the new ferrari fuv they call it but the ferrari suv the pura sangue that they've recently launched because even for that you need to have a certain other number of ferraris in your history or in your current possession to be able to get one how many ferraris it depends (laughs) i don't think they publicize what it is per se but i believe it to be that you need to effectively own one current vehicle along the lines of an sf90 stradale or higher so one of their kind of flagship cars we could say plus another car with a v12 because the new car is a v12 so you need to own those two and probably have some points from some other
0: events and things. So that yeah. means you, you probably have to buy about a million dollars for the Ferraris. To it then buy to how, to get how, the SUV. how much is that the SUV? Yeah, to then be able to spend four or five hundred thousand. Four or five
2: hundred grand for that. How many Ferrari points do you have? I don't,
1: I, don't, I don't know how it works exactly. Oh. I, I currently have two cars. I've previously owned two cars. I have more than one on order at the moment, so I'm, I'm
0: working on it. Hmm, interesting. How <laughs> did you get started in all of this? Have you always had a background in cars? I, I mean, I've always loved cars. Yeah. Um, my YouTube car
1: journey, you could say, began back in January, 2010. And I've uploaded a video on YouTube on average more than once per day since for 13 years, which is kind of crazy. And I used to just run around the center of London filming cars that went by, or I used to go to big events like the Geneva Motor Show, which is where lots of new products would be launched. The Gumball 3000, which is one of the world's most famous car rallies. And I would just film a video and upload it. And you remember those days of mm-hmm. YouTube. It, was, it wasn't ever really with any plan. It certainly wasn't, hey, one day this could be a business where I employ a whole load of people to do really cool stuff. It was, I'm just having fun filming cars. And that's kind of evolved from there. What were you doing for work back then? I used to work in an investment consultancy, actually. Really? So very analytical based, which I would say is always where my YouTube side came from. Yeah. It was like, how do I understand what's happening, what's working, publishing content? How do you reach audiences, metadata, tags, analytics? You know the drill, It's it's kind of... It's really a, a thing to try and understand it beyond just
0: being creative and making a nice video. How do you find the time to do both? <laughs> that was, takes a lot of time, no, especially unless you're just going like you know on the street, here's a 30 second video, just throw up whatever. I was super, super lucky actually back at the start because within the, the team I worked
1: in, we were effectively creating a social media platform within our niche of the consulting world. And my boss therefore was super into the social media world and also very into cars, had owned an early Audi R8 back when they were new. This was you know, the, sa- the same mm-hmm. kind of time and effectively saw what I was doing. And I'd started at the company as one of the first employees. It was within single digits and the company had grown to just over 100 by this, this point. And he basically allowed me, which sounds bizarre to say, to, to lower from working five days a week to working four days a week as my, my things were taking up to lower to three days a week eventually before I went full time in the social media world. So it's kind of, can't really repeat that, Wow! but I got super lucky, great guys, we still talk, the co-CEOs, um, still see them both, so it's really, really nice, actually. So did you
0: get a pay cut? Yeah, or see, were you- I pro- okay. a pay cut, yeah. Okay, yeah. got
1: it. But it was—it kind of gave me the opportunity to take that leap of faith into it, because I think one of the hardest things when you're growing a channel and you start getting an audience is that you can earn something. Maybe you're earning a couple hundred dollars a month, but that's not enough to live on. Certainly not in the supercar world where you've got to travel to events and create content around cars. You know, it's not cheap, whatever you want to do. Um, So it gave me that opportunity to kind of build it up over a 12, 18 month period rather than going kind of full in, which was amazing. Like without that, it couldn't be possible. How much were you making back then on the YouTube channel? Do you remember? Oh, like not, the, a, not a lot. I really think probably, I think at the point I went full time, it was probably in the region of 10 to $15,000 a year.
2: Th- that's when you went full time.
1: Yes. 10 How here. did you? How did you from justify? That? No, no, no. That, <laughs> or, that's that's like, when I. That's I s- when I started. Let's say, um, started, started lowering back. the days. Yes, sure. when okay. I started cutting back from a five-day mm-hmm. job. Mm-hmm. Apologies, I shouldn't have used the phrase full-time. But at the time, mm-hmm. also I was financing an expensive car, big monthly outgoings. Lived in London, right? But as any probably not so sensible young male does, it was that was what you had to yeah. do, right? Well, <laughs> what was the car? Um, my Audi R8 at the time. Ah, R8 B 10 Okay. Yeah. So I guess I'd have been. 25 Financing the r8 probably all my spare outgoings each month were going to that so I couldn't go straight from work into the YouTube world, but It was that I think draw to the channel that I was sharing the experiences of that car You know the living the supercar dream tag I think we were already using back Mm -hmm. then and it was very much taking the audience on road trips sharing what it's like sharing ups and downs when things work when they don't work so it's kind of one of those gambles that somehow yeah. managed to pay off. Hold that thought, Shmi,
2: because first we want to thank our sponsor, Atlas VPN. I've been traveling a ton recently, and I don't expect it to slow down anytime soon. And with all that
0: traveling comes sketchy and unsecured airport Wi-Fi. Well, thankfully, Jack, you use your sponsor, Atlas VPN. A VPN stands for a virtual private network. So essentially, whenever you connect to Wi-Fi, you're not connecting from your computer, the one with all your personal data, but from one of Atlas VPN servers that are spread out Out across the world which brings me to my
2: favorite part about atlas vpn which is being able to stream exclusive movies to certain countries being outside of that country it's really cool you see most websites including netflix and youtube will check to see what country you're in and blacklist certain videos from other countries thankfully though all i have to do is connect to an atlas vpn server in the us and i can start watching all
0: my favorite content again yo what are you watching nothing They even have special servers that could support 4K streaming. It's also really easy to use. All it takes is one click and you're connected. So have a safe new year with Atlas VPN Premium. You
2: can protect all your devices in 2023 for just $1.70 a month, plus a 30-day money-back guarantee and six free months upon sign up.
0: Click the link in the description to get the New Year's deal today. And now with that said, let's Let's get get back back to to the the podcast. podcast. So how were you able to expand from the R8? I take it you quit your job, went full-time, What's your schedule look like back then? Because now you have to just create content around the R8 and just the car industry in general. Yeah, so the the McLaren happened while I was at three days a week.
1: So at this point, obviously, I'd spent a year growing the channel, trying to expand it. And, I mean, it wasn't something that was earning certainly not $100,000 a year or anything like that, but it had reached a point at which that was possible. So I could put the deposit in, I financed the car. To be honest, I spent pretty much everything I had at the time on my mclaren 12c How much was the mclaren so i bought a car in the uk for 125,000 pounds um which at the time would have been something like 180 so thousand yes, the 12C or was it 12c 12c really it was cheap. Really, well,
0: cheap. really cheap so you have to think right but 180, 180. You know, it was still 180. sure right?
1: but what you have to yeah. remember as well is it's it's funny because you wouldn't realize it now new mclarens when they launched and the first 12c's were delivered at the end of i want to say 2012 um when they started, or maybe it was early 2012 when they started the cars had a lot of problems they weren't ready they didn't have an infotainment system inside that was working full stop didn't turn on just black screen and it created a serious depreciation curve for early cars so my car was had a list price of 225,000 pounds and it was less than a year old so the previous owner to me had lost a six-figure sum in 12 months just not much fun Mm -hmm. wow um so i got an absolute bargain i went on to sell the car for more than i bought it for as it happens a year later because the brand had had a bit of a resurgence, there was a lot more, um, you know, people believing in in their products, and they had fixed some of the problems, so they were all running properly. Um, but it was definitely a, a big commitment, mm. and there was certainly a period shortly thereafter where I was kind of like, "Is this a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> Have I just done something?" Do you remember great what your payment about? was? Yeah, it was it was roughly a thousand pounds a month. Okay, which was fine, like I say, right. but it was certainly. I really need this to work.
0: I need this to go somewhere. <laughs> I need this to grow into something. Yeah, it seems like a common theme from James doing that with his Lam- Lamborghini and Doug DeMuro doing that with his uh, Ferrari 360. Yes. They I all remember. were like, I went all in on a car. I bought something I couldn't afford, but it worked out. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy to think about it. I look mm-hmm. back and I'm like, why, why did I decide that was a
1: good idea? But I think if you've got petrol running through your veins, it's kind of, it's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's what you work. for. what I certainly felt like I was working for was to have the opportunity to drive these kind of cars. Um, and that drove me every day to to get up and go and do what I could, you know, to go and work towards that goal. Yeah. I've always dreamt as a teenager, I was completely kind of one day I'll own a supercar. That's my goal. One day, one day.
2: So how old yeah. were you when you got the McLaren? Uh,
1: so early 2014, I would have been 26. So you're 26. Was that like your daily driver?
2: Or it was like, my only car <laughs> yeah. that was your daily driver <laughs> you you around I lived in central I lived in central
1: London yeah. so like even just like driving to work like what well were... we you didn't really drive to work in, oh, how do in you London you... well London has good public transport oh. so you have we have an underground network we have good buses you can walk everywhere cuz the city's so small it's very different to the US i can imagine you probably got some
2: pretty funny looks and stuff like that driving the car well, around like
1: there's always been a big London car community, even though it makes absolutely no sense to drive on the tiny city streets. And it's where a big chunk of my channel began was car spotting. It was filming cars in the city centre um, and going to Sunday morning meetups, which again, make no sense why you do them in central London. But you've got to think of the dense concentration of wealth and you know property values and therefore the number of nice cars that reside in underground garages in the centre of the city. I guess it was more about Only driving the car if I was going out of London somewhere, Mm. you know, off on a trip. I drove the car around Europe multiple times in that year. Um, Plenty of kind of adventures and videos and things, but... Not so much, like not for commuting.
2: See, that surprises me because even back then when that was way bigger of a risk for you to be daily driving a McLaren, right? Daily driving. Mm-hmm. Like now, obviously, if you daily drive like the a million dollar car, it's probably not that scary for you. But like back in the day, being 26, having all of your assets in one thing yeah. that you could be hurtling <laughs> at like 90 miles an hour mm-hmm. down a freeway. It's like, whew, like for me, I could not even fathom that.
1: I think I was very conscious that it was, also the source of revenue so it was right okay that makes i've sense. always looked at you know I, I still have to pinch myself now big time about the cars that i'm lucky to own because sometimes it feels like they're just the means to the business and then it, then it's the the wait a second moment like how's that possible um and certainly back then i just enjoyed it i enjoyed the engagement with people whether that was going to events and meeting people or whether that was uploading videos and interacting with comments you know how Cars, the sound of cars, the feel of cars, just bring out that passion from people. Um, and you instantly, like I said, talk the same language. You're instantly talking to them about something you both love. Mm. And when did you fully decide to quit that job and go into YouTube full time? It was a period where I had a couple of big videos in a row, so it gave me something to fall back on, or at least to be able to take the, the like leap of faith to go into it. So I think summer 2014. What um, were those videos? Uh, a couple of a couple of things, all kind of at the same time, but mostly around the video on my channel that's got the most views, actually. Which I'm generally about positivity, so I'm not particularly oh, pleased I think about I this know video. Which video
0: you're talking but about? But it's one that went hyper viral. It's a Lamborghini crashing in London. Everyone has seen this video. Jim. Everyone, everybody. It's that black Aventador, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's going down the side street, and it hits like a minivan, and then it flips over, It jumps no, up in the you, air. You
1: film that. You saw it I that. didn't actually film it, but there's quite a story behind this as well. But it is the biggest video on, on, on my channel, and it's on, on YouTube, it's done 30 something million views. But it's <sighs> if you add up everything on Facebook oh, and Instagram, I'm sure it's hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. I remember
0: 100, seeing 100. this on the cover of like Yahoo. Yes, like it, 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 was it went everywhere. everywhere. The cover of Yahoo. The cover, like the yes. front page
1: of Yahoo, but cover, I mean front page. All the newspapers, yeah. everything everywhere. But the interesting story behind it was that at that time, I was actually trying to approach YouTube a bit more like a publishing platform as opposed to exclusively videos that I would make. So I would try and buy rights from people to use their videos, as a lot of people now do on Facebook and other things, if they're not stealing them, that is, because obviously that's yeah. pretty rife. But back then I was trying to to see if I could buy rights to cool, interesting videos. And this actually happened on Mother's Day. So I was out of London with my family who don't live in the center of London, so I was out for Mother's Day lunch. And I heard I had heard there's been a Lamborghini crash and it's right outside where I used to live. like. Half a mile away, hmm. so so I knew it was there, and I asked a friend of mine if they could go along and see what's up. You know, <laughs> and the side the side idea was, can you get a video of something? Yeah, and and he messaged me back later saying, oh, somebody I met there had a video of it. So I was like, do you have their contact info? Um, anyway, he didn't, so I put out a post online saying, I've heard there's a video. If anybody knows about that, let me know. And somebody sent me a message, and ultimately I bought the video from him for a couple of thousand, uploaded it. No idea at the time yeah. that it would be anything i mean my biggest video to that date had probably not earned me the amount of money that i paid him for that video so it was <laughs> it, it was, was risky. no no oh, idea yeah. yeah no idea but i i kind of believed in the idea of this or licensing the content out because i did a lot of licensing of the videos i had shot because i just had a stock library at this point of so many different cars that people would buy if they wanted you know the, the different tv shows that put together mashup clips and things that would want videos of whatever i might have so i was doing quite a lot of that and yeah,
0: I didn't expect the video to go so far, but it did. I remember seeing that everywhere. Yeah. How do you protect the rights of your video? Do people so, just rip it off? Like someone like Yahoo, can't they just link it back to you? Or I guess then that they would credit much, you. Pretty much everybody yeah.
1: commercial has a department that deals with this. Okay. And if you go to them and say, hey, you've taken my video, they'll offer you something. Okay. I, certainly more in the past than now. At that point, it wasn't so much videos of myself, you know presenting everything now it really is so if anybody steals one of my videos now it's still got my face in it so mm-hmm. it's kind of I, I it's not really worth going after yeah. it, it depends what it is but at the end of the day i believe in focusing on doing the next positive thing rather than starting some dispute with somebody over sure even a couple of thousand dollars or it, it sounds silly to say but life is better if you're more positive about it yeah rather than getting caught up in silly fights um at that point there was certainly a lot more but i guess i felt super lucky and excited that i was able to do something that i enjoyed so much and turn it into something that was generating me you know an income that Mm -hmm. was the the craziest thing about it
0: so i didn't really feel oh this is a problem yeah just you just let it happen yeah so, so, oh, I'm curious what, what some of the other videos were that happened around that same time. I think just basically a few things on the channel. Geneva Motor Show was always a big one for new car
1: reveals. Um, and I was always trying to be the first to upload videos. I would, I would stand at the side of a car reveal, you know, holding my camera up over my head. Um, with a crowd of journalists in front of me to just try and get that first clip before I run to a corner at the motor show (laughs) hall where my laptop is sat on the floor with a sequence ready so I can just dump in the files and get them straight on the internet. That was something I would always try and do. So like if you search YouTube for LaFerrari and you reverse the the search i don't think you can anymore but you could for a time and Mm -hmm. find the oldest upload my video of the LaFerrari reveal at the geneva motor show was live before ferrari's own pre-filmed video had even gone live like within 45 minutes of the reveal so at the time it was kind of i was going full on to do whatever i could to get this content out because 2014 2015 was before the major magazines and traditional media publications had really certainly in the automotive space had really tried to do social they, they weren't. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know what to do. Nobody had taken point on it. So it was like this kind of cheeky opportunity to, to get in there before everybody else did with anything. So to share the first content. So I think having time as well was a big one because it meant I could shoot more. Mm-hmm. And I started having manufacturers, dealers, private car collectors reaching out saying, hey, would you like to come and film this? Would you like to come and do this? So a bit more traveling, a bit more. Access to things I can only have dreamt about before No, What were you gonna ask Jack?
2: I was gonna ask you So you
1: bought the video for
2: about two grand right something like that Yeah. Can you say how much that specific video you think generated in revenue?
1: It's very hard to say and like so this is the thing that I, I Said or felt so reluctant about in terms of it being the largest viewed video on my channel because It's what it's brought in over the years in terms of audience mm-hmm. and you can't really Put a value on that you can't put a metric on that, you can say directly what that video has earned in revenue. And I can tell you it's actually a lot lower than people would think for 35 yeah, million a, views. It's a it's, short video, yeah, right? Yeah. It does the average retention is 15 seconds. Yeah, So it's a 15 second video with clicks from around the world. It's not clicks just from you know right, premium right. markets like the US or Europe, yep. it's clicks from everywhere. Um, so it's certainly a much smaller figure. I can tell you I have videos with 2 million views that have earned more than that video has with 35 million, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. There's so much understanding of how YouTube works beyond—I mean, I'm preaching to the the, the experts here. Yeah. There's there's so much more understanding of how this works than just stick a video online and get however many views. Um, so it's it's what it's really done in terms of like you instantly know the video. You yes, know, so many people know that video. <laughs> hmm. I've had a few videos that have done 10 million plus on more positive things, like <laughs> the first time filming the Dubai police cars. Do you remember, have you seen the Dubai police supercar yes. fleet? I filmed that similar kind of time. Like
0: Audi R8s and they have like
1: crazy. Bugatti
0: Veyron, Aston Martin
1: 177.
0: Bugatti Veyrons. Yeah, so So,
1: they did.
2: I'm just curious, because like do they, do the cops actually get in the Veyrons and like chase down some dude in like
1: a 98 Civic? Do they actually (laughs) do that, you know? It's really interesting actually. It started completely as a marketing thing. I believe the cars were like the personal collection of somebody close to the general of the, the Dubai police or however exactly it worked, um, and they use them at, you know, for patrols at big public events or venues or that kind of thing, um, but it kind of went a bit further, and effectively, the most senior officers can drive and patrol with them. Of course, they're not going to be arresting people because they don't have the right setup for that, but they do use them as police cars. Like they are, they are there. But you, you don't think anyone's ever
2: been detained and thrown the back in the back of like a Veyron? Because well, at that there's point, there's no the back of a <laughs> the Oh sure, at that point, I'd probably break. <laughs> there is, there is a Brabus G Wagon.
1: They could throw somebody in the oh, back no, of a Brabus G Wagon. Gosh, G-Wagon. but it's, it's, it was a you know a huge marketing thing. As so much of the the content or things you see from the UAE um, have been. Uh, but my my video videos of that from the beginning were obviously really big because people hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've had some big videos of a first look at a brand new car that I've managed to. Push out from the geneva motor show like i just said for example and
0: things that i'm much more proud of as videos we could say wow so why didn't you decide to license more content or or did you and that was just the one video that happened to do really well
1: no i did i did um you know a couple of friends from the car spotter world um actually back then i came up with agreements that you know they would we would split the revenue that a video would generate Mm. that kind of thing with the idea of you know one day maybe that could be the way the channel runs sharing the content being that side of the business which maybe would have worked quite well it's hard to say looking True. back but what I figured happened was that the audience were more keen on content that made them feel like they're related with you mm-hmm. so more personal more talking to them directly through the video rather than just throwing out a video of a car you know with music over the top or something yeah it, it's not quite the same whereas that personal journey is the way I think so many people in certainly Myspace, but pretty much across the board with YouTube have evolved, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've created that connection to their viewers and the viewers follow the whole journey. The crazy thing I think for my channel is at the beginning, I had a BMW one series, a diesel uh, one series coupe, lovely car, but people can see that progression from that all the way through. So I now have a garage of about 20 cars and it's all like, it's all there. The whole story is there, which is really quite fun.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit. The journey from the McLaren, what happened after the McLaren? I promptly bought a more practical car. Okay, <laughs> That did happen. Um, I,
1: I upgraded from that McLaren to another one. I actually had four McLarens in a row. Um, what I was saying about creating the content around the brand mm. that there wasn't really much out there. Um, so I had the 12C, I upgraded it to a 650S Spider, and then to a 675LT and that's the point after the third one that I started buying other cars. And I actually had a crazy period Back in September 2015 and I remember it so well because in July of that year was a major algorithm change Major change they introduced effectively the mid-roll ads that you could add in mm. on longer videos So a massive shift towards creating longer form content um, And I was like I had my light bulb moment my eureka moment of right I've got to do this started doing that straight from the off and for many years That was actually my most successful month because I took delivery of the McLaren 675 LT, but also bought my first Ferrari and Porsche all in a 12-day period. So 12 kind of, days. Yeah,
0: it was kind of full-on at the time. I, yeah. I was just kind of, what
1: is happening? H- how is this? Would like?
0: You, would you be comfortable talking about some of your finances back then to be able to afford all of these cars? Because I remember watching your channel from back in the early days. This yeah. was like when you did the gumball rally videos. Yeah, I still um, do. <laughs> yeah. But but the early ones, this must have been like twenty twelve or like twenty thirteen, and I kind of wondered going through that, like how how do you afford all of these cars? Yeah,
1: I mean I'm I'm the first to uh, admit around it. This is uh, I've used a lot of car finance over the years. You know, I've very carefully tried to weigh up what's the right path in terms of deposits, payment plans, um, and outgoings. And certainly at that period, it was like that. The six seventy five LT, I think I had bought that probably 50 50 something like that as a deposit the uh 981 came gt4 my porsche they were actually an almost guaranteed overs straight from the off so i took that on i think a 50 percent deposit interest only mm-hmm. type type deal so tiny payments relative but every limited edition porsche at that time was trading for crazy money over so i suppose my original idea was if i keep it for six months or 12 months I'm probably not going to lose money on it. Perhaps a little sure. overconfident, but it did go in that direction. Yeah. So, so it was fine. And the Ferrari, Ferrari Finance actually do an amazing deal. Ferrari prop up their own cars in a way that no other brand can can match. What in terms of like? residual values. So they'll give you a four-year agreement where the, it's probably slightly different from region to region, mm-hmm. but they'll give you, you know, you'll put in your deposit, you'll have your monthlies, but they'll give you a value at the end. You know, the, the guaranteed buyback value at the end or the, Kind of hand it back value i should say the balloon payment which will be very very high but what happens as a result of that is because pretty much every ferrari is financed with ferrari finance is that they have such a good control over the used market and the values stay so high so you see this now with newer cars say the new ferrari 296 gtb which is their v6 hybrid is a direct rival to the mclaren artura very similar cars on paper the ferrari is probably 70 or 80 thousand pounds hundred thousand dollars more but the likelihood is it will probably be worth more than $100,000 more in two or three years time. So even though it costs more on paper, mm-hmm. it probably costs you less to own for three years, which is really quite interesting. So what
0: is it like to finance a Ferrari? What do they look in terms of how much money down, what a credit score needs to be, what an income requirement? I'm so curious about this. So I, I'm, I'm smirking a
1: bit because <laughs> when you say to a finance company back in 2015, what's your job? I earn money from making videos on the internet, they definitely look at you like, no, <laughs> no, no you don't, yeah. No, nobody understood that. And and certainly it, it was quite a, I think a hard thing to do from the outset, but you, you obviously like anything, like this you, you show them, you demonstrate your income, you give a, an explanation of what you do and how you use the cars. And let's be real, I'm using the cars for videos. The cars are part of my business activities, if you will, as well. Mm. So parts of the expense can be written off. Obviously that's different in every country and it works very differently. Um, So I think at the time I just submitted the the application. Um, You know, it's been very easy. It still is very easy for lots of people to get credit on cars. Obviously, maybe not Ferraris, of course, but submitted the application. It was approved and
0: job done. Put in my deposit, I guess, probably 20, 25 percent, something like that. Okay. And go from there. Were they hesitant, though, about you making content with the car? I heard Ferraris very particular about the image because I remember the thing with David Lee wanting an allocation, I think it was the, what was it, the Ferrari or the convertible, or the Ferrari Aperta, yeah, yeah, and he didn't get the allocation, and I think he posted something on Twitter, or he posted on Instagram, calling them out on it, and then coming out publicly, and saying we don't like the image, or like the flashy aspect of it, I don't think it was so much that, and I without wanting to go yeah.
1: too specifically into David's situation, yeah. it's the point system, the majority of, I believe his collection of cars had come from third party sources, right. cars you bought you amazing cars, right. like absolutely amazing cars. But to buy a La Ferrari Aperta, you need to have your twenty cars that you've bought direct from Ferrari. It's a very different system. Mm. They are incredibly protective of the brand, vastly more than anybody else. And I have a close relationship with them and I love working with Ferrari. They make amazing cars. But they can be sometimes you have you have to be very like play by their rules if you want to, you know, be able to work yeah. with them. It's one I think that if you are, you know, in that Ferrari world, you kind of know that. Kind of respect that you know the history that they have and the the people who are buying ferraris they are the you know the ultra vips of the world kind of thing you know to, to be building and buying la ferrari apertas mm-hmm. a car they only made 200 of them right it was two million dollars each and that's six that years a ago so today now. yeah yeah i mean it would be double that if not more right
0: now i heard also that now with the newer ferraris they have some sort of system where they could tell if you've changed the exhaust or if you modify the engine in such a way where it like flags it avoids the warranty is that true it's pretty much true with every company are you serious believe it or yeah. not. um like when the new corvette came out
1: the c8 generation corvette a lot of buyers were, were quite unhappy that chevrolet had completely locked it out so you couldn't modify you had to put kind of piggyback ecu's if you wanted to change anything bmw do a big job of it if you've changed anything on a bmw it's logged in the system on any new car and that will be there forever you know even if you revert your changes to sell it the dealer will scan it and it will say yeah this happened like a lot of these new cars are completely locked down that's crazy yeah it makes it really difficult so for example the two ferraris i currently own are completely bone stock (laughs) unchanged because i don't want to get into any (laughs) warranty battles if something goes wrong that they're known you know They want, they're they're very happy for you to use the cars. You know, it's not like they don't want you to go and track them and drive them and do some miles with them, but they don't want you to
0: stick aftermarket parts on them because it's not the image. It's not the right, the right look. Now, what do you think it is that Lamborghini doesn't go after uh, modifications as much as other companies do? I think it's the brand image of Lamborghini. They are
1: rebellious, right? Sure. If you buy a a Lamborghini, you are a flamboyant character. You want to be out there. You're that kind of person. You know if you look at cars that are driving down in south beach miami or you know through dubai or something the things you see the most of are lambos if you go and rent a supercar you rent a lambo right mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing because there's nothing that says yeah this is a crazy experience more like there's there's no alternative. So I think Lamborghini embrace that and they know their customers are, are these kind of people. Like if you go to a Lamborghini event, you know, if you go to a Ferrari event, mm. people will be very formal in their suits, yeah. <laughs> dressed up. You go to a Lamborghini event, people are just in shorts and t-shirts, right? Yeah. It's a completely different type of buyer. And you actually see that. Big Ferrari collectors tend not to own a Lamborghini and big Lamborghini collectors will not own a Ferrari. And it's amazing that you have that complete divide between the two brands. Whereas mm. like a McLaren collector will probably have some Porsches. Because those two cars are very track focused and kind of line up with one another, right? So you see, I see these kind of trends all over the place. But people who have multiple Lamborghinis, serial Lamborghini buyers, they're not Ferrari guys. Huh. What car make
2: do you think is is uh, is liked too much? Is
1: overhyped? Interesting.
0: <laughs> I'm put you on the spot here. Yeah, I'm very on the spot with
1: that one. What's hyped Be careful too what you much? say? <laughs> Ferrari is listening. Do you know what? If we talked about, let's say, the multi-million dollar cars, you know, this world of Bugatti, Koenigsegg, Pagani, what's really interesting in that space is how all of these cars are beyond what any of us need in terms of performance, what they can do, art pieces even, but they all do this quite differently. Like, it's really hard to compare even those kind of cars because they're not the same thing. If you then come down to the supercar field... Ferrari, Lamborghini, McLaren, Porsche. Again, every car these companies produce now is way beyond what any normal driver can use, can do. You know, if you buy a seven, eight, nine hundred thousand horsepower car, we're normal humans. The, the rate of acceleration and cornering ability, you can't do on the road. Like these cars make absolutely no sense. Um, so again, it comes much more down to a person's emotional connection with a particular car and while one person might be much more in the camp of a Porsche because they're bulletproof and they can do endless track miles, for example, I prefer a little bit more emotion out of a car. You know, I prefer the the flare of an Italian engine more than that, for example. So I don't necessarily think well, I couldn't I couldn't really point one brand and say, you know, they're overhyped per se. But I think different cars will appeal to different people. You know, like I'm I'm more of a McLaren and a Ferrari guy than I am a Porsche guy. For so for
2: you personally, Porsche, is
1: maybe- I, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm not the biggest Porsche guy. Um, I've owned a couple, um, I've had a GT3, two GT4s, um, recently had a Taycan, their electric car. Um, but like, I'm not the one lining up at the door for a new GT3 RS or, or whatnot, because I find the brand quite difficult as well. They're quite like, what we we're talking about with the allocations, it's impossible to know what you need to do. Like if somebody said to me, you can have a GT3 RS if you buy these three cars, we'll sign the contract now done then you can think about it. But I don't like having to buy
0: this, 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 this to maybe get that. I think some of that spoils the mystery, though, because if Ferrari did that, let's just say, and said, okay, you need to buy these four cars and you'll get this. Then it then it's like any rich guy could say, all right, now I'm going to buy those four. I right, yeah. shove them off to the set, I'll buy that. But keeping some of the mystery and having someone at Ferrari hand select those people, yeah. I think is part of what makes people want to go the extra mile like maybe i should buy that fifth ferrari just to get on their good side maybe (laughs) i should shake these hands over here go to that event it's not required but let me do it anyway because it it really proves that you want it that badly
1: no it's true and you know a lot of the brands are keen to keep their biggest supporters close i think that's the same with any industry not Mm -hmm. exclusive to cars you know people who genuinely buy the cars use the cars and sing the praises of those cars to their social circle to their You know audience online or whatever it might be those are people that the brand want to keep a hold of and you know some brands actually do a pretty good job of that Mm -hmm. um i think it's quite a hard thing because as soon as somebody gets too close to the brand then you've got a difficult relationship that grows and i've i've been there with the stuff i've done over the years obviously because you know i've made videos that have had a whole lot of views about all of these different things and very aware that sometimes the manufacturers are watching over my back yeah and you know you want to keep that relationship as well so Swings and roundabouts. Uh,
0: How do you balance the two between making content and being honest about your experience with the car versus not upsetting the dealership or the brand? It's actually really difficult. It's really, really difficult because,
1: you know, as soon as something goes wrong with a car, obviously the brand don't want you to talk about it. Obviously. Um but then if you don't talk about it and all of a sudden, like a car's not in my garage for some reason or I'm not driving a car for some reason, my audience are like, where is it? Why is it? Why are you not telling us? Why is the se- What's the secret, you know? So you're then not being honest with your audience. And that's the most important thing you have as a content creator is your honesty to your audience because they are what make makes it possible to do what you're doing. Yeah. Um. I try and give the brand a very fair opportunity to help with whatever it is not not like trying to pull strings of if you don't do this i'm going to go and shout and make a video about it but in a kind of you know please help me my car's got an issue you know i need to use it for an event next week is there anything you can do you know that kind of Mm -hmm. thing and to be fair most genuinely are but you've built you've got to remember you've built a relationship at this point with your sales team and your service team so you're not kind of calling up somebody you've never spoken to before saying fix my car Mm -hmm. type thing um, I mean, I've just had a recent bit that's been really frustrating, to be honest. My McLaren Senna needed two new dampers, parts almost impossible to get across the board right now. Um, and it took probably six months to get them in. So for six months, I couldn't drive the car. What What was the part? Dampers, suspension, What's... parts oh, okay. of the suspension. Um, crazy expensive parts, <laughs> as it happens, but just, you know, unobtainium. Um, and so there was a lot of back and forth, as you can imagine. Um, but ultimately, you know, they helped they tried to get them the dealership have been great good communication about it all so you know i'm not about to go make a video of screaming and shouting and saying the service is awful because i understand the global situation you know this is a the fact that i can't get parts for my silly unnecessary car is a very small
0: concern considering everything else you know around the world at sure the now how much of that though is you having a, a channel and a large presence that they put you at the priority do you oh, think you would get the same experience as someone else who has no following whatsoever? Calls in, my scent is broken. I'm <laughs> like, I'm, all right, we'll put you behind uh, Schmi. I'm 100% <laughs> first, sure. Yeah. I'm 100% sure that it helps.
1: Um, I don't try to use it like that, though. That's fair. Um, I know that when various cars I own, whether it's Ferraris, my 4GT, or Lambos, or whatever, go for. A service they would probably have an extra look over them beyond what they might otherwise do because at the end of the day it's not good for anyone if the car goes wrong on a video it's not good for, well maybe it would get more views but right, yeah. <laughs> it's it's not you, yeah it's not good in theory um, <laughs> sure. if something goes wrong um, so I'm 100% sure that brands have done that along the way one interesting thing people often ask me about though is does having a social media platform mean you can get cars that you wouldn't mm-hmm. otherwise get allocations for and generally I believe the answer to that is no and the reason because the reason I say that is because they need to be showing the example of what you need to do. So Ferrari can't just give me a new 812 Competizione, then new limited edition V12 um, GT car, because I don't have five Ferraris in my garage. So the next person who has the same two cars I have goes along and says, hey, why didn't I get one? So I think that kind of is a swings and roundabouts thing as well. It's sometimes in your favor, sometimes against your favor like i say i don't i've never you know gone in saying you've got to do this for me because otherwise i'm going to do that or whatever because i don't i don't believe in that i think if you do the right thing for people they'll do the right mm. thing for you in this respect in in life in general and it's the same with you know upgrades or services or things i don't reach out to everywhere i go saying hey can i have this for free you yeah. know i know there, there are plenty of people that do i believe that if you want the service book in do what you know purchase book whatever you need and hey, if they appreciate what you do for them, they might give you a kickback from it yep. or give you something off. So I've always worked with that. And now I have some great partners and things that I work with as well. So it's, you know, it's worked out all right. Yeah. So what do you have in your garage right now? <laughs> oh, gosh, there's going to be a long list. Full list? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want the full list. I'm not even sure if I can do the full list from, from craziest down, shall we say. Yeah. Um, my, my craziest car is a Zenvo. Uh, a Zenvo T S R S and most people don't know what a Zenvo is. I don't even, even I don't, is, don't even I even know, know what really
0: that idea. is and I, I love cars. Yeah
1: so so Zenvo is a Danish company. Um the car has 1,360 horsepower. Um in-house engine, full carbon everything as you can imagine. Brutal thing to drive. I kind of describe it as an Aventador on steroids. It's really aggressive. Um I gotta pick it this up thing. a couple yeah, of well, months ago. How <laughs> much did know. that
2: cost? This,
0: uh, uh, it's fairly expensive. See. Wow crazy machine this this is real yeah oh my gosh look at <laughs> that, that actually thing. kind of
2: reminds me of my miata 2000 <laughs> <laughs> very similar oh my gosh yeah
1: it's it's a wild wild thing um very small company um, how many cars like have they made they make a couple a year a it's couple kind of a year yeah how do so, you how did you get one so i've i've known the company for a long time i've worked with them i, I think i made my first video with them back in 2000 oh, yeah there you are you type yeah. in the car and oh, yeah, oh my so that's gosh. mine is the purple one. If you've seen any pictures of that popping up, wow! <laughs> the, um, if
2: you look yeah. up Zenvo and see a purple one, it's yours. Yeah, yeah it will come up
1: because <laughs> it's it's all over the internet. Oh my gosh! But no, like I say, I've known the founder of the company wow. um, okay. for for nearly a decade now. I've filmed so many videos oh. with them, and they recently hired a few. They've done a, a big hiring drive, and they've hired a lot of people that I've worked with before um, from other. Uh, automotive OEMs so they kind of assembled this dream team and they have some really exciting stuff in the future so we chatted for a long time as you can imagine because you don't just buy a car like that on a whim Um, for me there was a lot of Am I really gonna do this? <laughs> that's, that's, How yeah, that, that's that's a big <laughs> a financing though. Yeah, that's that's a big part. Financing team. they, they yeah. helped introduce me to somebody who can help me with that. Oh. I mean, don't get me wrong. The deposit. Yeah. If you you have to put in like a sizable double digit deposit sure. of a multi million dollar car, it's it's yeah. a scary number. Whatever you do, um, but I believe in what they're doing in the future. And it's really exciting like they gave me opportunities to come and be at the factory and lay some of the pre-preg carbon fiber so Mm. before it's hardened to make the wheels on my car full carbon wheels they're way lighter than any metal wheel or anything and i got to be part of that like i signed some parts of it that are now on the car that i drive around um same with the interior and just i went back to the factory probably six seven eight times through the build process to go and see it and then obviously we're now taking it to some really cool events
0: it might well be over here
1: next year that's the plan i would love to see
0: it now i'm curious we'll pause there how is that car as an roi for the channel because i remember james stradman talking about his bugatti saying it's a loss leader like that will lose money in the channel but it gets more people in and maybe i could make it up on the back end so it is exactly that (laughs) yeah mixed with the personal excitement okay there
1: is no bottom line that can possibly make sense purchasing a car like that because the amount of views you would need or, or whatnot is just not feasible. Mm. Um, and obviously it's also very unknown. You know, when I sell that car, whether it's in three years or 10 years, I, I couldn't tell you now, I have no idea what what's gonna about be to worth. Say, I don't yeah. know if it'll have lost 50% or gained 300%. You know, I, I, I've I got no idea. How long's a piece of string because it's such a small boutique brand, there's nothing to look at. There are no like sales figures for cars being sold because the only people who have bought them still have them. It's exactly what James said. A bit of a loss leader into the channel in the sense of how crazy is this content and you know the the views on on the car in some ways aren't as big as if i had bought a more well-known car of that price point point. Mm-hmm. know, if i had bought a bugatti the views would be bigger for sure because more people are looking for bugatti content and more people instantly know what a bugatti is mm-hmm. you know as Envo we're talking about you've not heard of them before right. i believe in their future though and i find that really interesting i think when in five six seven ten years time people are looking for Zenvo content they'll end up looking at my videos and it will keep everything very current um so i think i'm playing a much longer game with it but then i'm a car guy at the end yeah. of the day how cool is it to have built parts of my own hypercar right. that i'm not going to travel I mean, around the is world is that what with.
0: put you over the edge there versus like a pagani or a koenig seg price is relevant price is okay. relevant the zenvo
1: is a cheaper entry point um the tsrs my particular model Here in the US, a spec car would be about two million dollars, whereas a Pagani or a Koenigsegg you'd be looking at three or four. So that is relevant. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm sure if you know if you have billions in the bank, it makes no difference. But I'm certainly at the point where an extra million dollars is something that I can't just go and um, go and go and drop. Um, So that's certainly a point. But also the closeness with the company and the excitement of feeling that I can do something really cool getting the name out there getting the brand name out there you know i know multiple people who are now buying the cars who have seen my videos like how cool is it yeah. as as non-s- nonsensical as it sounds how cool is it that i can upload videos of a 2 million dollar car and people will see those videos and go and buy it you know it's like you You've think of cr- you got a wild
0: audience yeah you think if you think imagine of imagine that <laughs> you think of influencing right? for
1: selling accessories yeah. or selling like you know, easily attainable things, but it is genuinely true. Even with hypercars, you know, you're bringing to attention something that a product that people didn't know about. Um, And one of the coolest things I always find is the number of people who have that, you know, who have that opportunity in life to buy these kind of cars of following some of the content I create. Kind of like, is this real? That's (laughs) that's how I Very cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. But it, it showcases what it's all about. You know, there are some amazing engineers and technicians and designers and people behind the brand. At Zenfo. And that's what I love going there and just talking to people, the people who are working on the wheels, on the engine, in the paint shop, talking to them about what they do and their passion for the brand. And at the end of the day, it's kind of supporting also this whole, well, the economy of it, right? Yeah. You, you're buying the car, you're keeping, you're, you're giving the opportunity for these people to be able to go on and make even better products, which at the end of the day is <laughs> amazing no. really isn't it to be able so to do that.
0: click the link in the description to, to uh to get, you get Zenvo, Zen-Vo. <laughs> today yeah uh, These are our affiliate uh, the first five people who buy a zenvo get a free
3: autograph a t-shirt t-shirt i've actually influenced people to buy lexar cards you know like because <laughs> they sponsor me on the channel but i can't imagine getting somebody to buy a two million dollar car that i that don't think it, you know it's it's not that simple somebody
1: doesn't Watch a video. Right. No, well, no, 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 no. no.
3: Probably, but that's with, where it starts. Say,
0: Honey, look at this. Try <laughs> you know now.
1: Yeah. We joke. Yeah. But I assure you it's happened. Yeah. I have filmed cars on my channel before or even walked around a showroom with cars in the background. I'll upload the video and I'll get a call the next day from the salesman being like, thanks for the video. Somebody just saw that car on your video and has bought it about expensive cars. You know, we're talking six figure cars. Mm. It's 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 crazy to me that that happens, yeah. but it does happen.
0: You know what's neat? Uh, I I haven't talked about this in a long time. When I posted my $78 Tesla video, yes. I put my Tesla referral link as the first link in the description. Guess how many Teslas I sold? I can imagine it's a lot. Just guess. How many views does the video have? Uh, Probably 8 million. 15,000? I'm gonna guess no. 2- 280. Oh you're really close. Uh about 240. 240. Yeah, see, that's like, I was yeah. I was going way over because it's no, no, people no. click the link and paste the deposit there, right? No, this is actually oh, Tesla is actually uh delivered. Okay. So if someone okay. places a deposit, it shows as pending but, until they actually take delivery of the car. So think about that.
1: 240 people yeah. have genuinely watched the video and clicked the link. That doesn't mean I mean I reckon probably 15,000 people have bought cars who have watched your video. And maybe used another link. Yes, or, or like just maybe. gone direct to the website. Yeah, Rather, right. or, or already had one on order, or was just aware of it, you know. Yeah. Um, actually, probably way more than that Tesla owners have watched your video. Maybe. That's the crazy thing. I mean, I've watched the video. I'm not a Tesla owner, but I've, yeah. I've watched the video. A lot of people watch that video, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's amazing to think, isn't it? Yeah. Because the deposit, Is well, the car isn't cheap. It's $40,000, $70,000. Right.
0: Yeah, and the cool part now is that I have basically unlimited supercharging miles. Yeah. Uh, just because of people signing up through that link, so they unfortunately they changed it. Um, I got the car right after they expired the uh, the referral program, where I think it, it, if you referred a hundred people, you got a free Tesla Roadster. So yeah. I would have gotten two free Tesla Roadsters from that one video, but That's they amazing. expired it. So now it was like every person that signs up, I think you get five thousand free miles of supercharging yeah. per sign up. It was That's something not even like that.
2: that many. Uh, it well, is 240,
0: but, but yeah, but you get 204. I mean, I'll never be able to drive the car as many miles as I have. But the downside is that they ended up putting a limit on it. So uh, I had basically almost a million miles of free supercharging, and then now they say it expires in 2024. All of it. Oh no. Yeah. But
2: they so they put to a cap fair, on it. So, so if to, Elon's but,
0: listening right now, yeah. we need a change. They've been on dialing that. it back. They also used to do a giveaway. So uh, every time you referred somebody, you would be entered for a monthly giveaway to win yeah. a Model Y or a Tesla Roadster. To my knowledge, I don't know anybody that's won or the I don't think they ever did it. I think they just said it. And because I, I tried doing a lot of research on this, could not find one verified winner. Interesting. But it's there. I mean, I've got the emails, I've screenshots of like, hey, this is their new plan. Nothing. Mm. Silence. Interesting. So... I think uh, they figured they could just get away with not doing it and no one's going to say anything. I mean, no no who's going to say anything? It's just like the YouTubers that give away like PlayStation 4s and stuff <laughs> like that, like the kids YouTubers. The yeah,
2: iPhones yeah, is like, away, yeah. yeah
1: we'll give away, I'm giving it's away. It's actually advice. really hard to give away stuff online because you is. end up getting a winner, you reach out to them and they don't reply. You
0: have to go down the list until you get somebody who no. does. I don't but think it's also that. doing that legally. Yeah. Because uh, oh gosh, there was something that that I looked into a while back cuz I wanted to give away free stocks. Yeah, but to do that there had to be a way to enter without any commitment through like a sweepstakes oh, this of, is a US It's thing. got yeah, well, it's got to be no purchase necessary Yeah, but it's also got to be like there's all these limits if you want to do it to the book So no purchase necessary has got to be one there's got to be a free place to enter. It's like it became such a big hassle that it was easier just not to give away stocks like it, Unfortunately kind of but you, you want to make sure it's done correctly but yeah, makes there, sense. Yeah.
3: There's an entire theory. <clears throat> oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening with my voice. There's an entire theory. Maybe age difference here is a little, you know, maybe you guys won't get this. But it's huge on YouTube. Uh, there was a show that Jack and I probably watched called uh, Sweet Life of Zach and Cody that was on Disney Channel. And they ran this sweepstakes um, that you bought this yogurt, like Danimal's yogurt. And they were giving away uh, like a vacation or Something with the the stars, and there's so many people who have made YouTube videos like saying, "Well, who won? Because nobody won, and then this guy came out and said he won, but then they linked it to like another sweepstakes. So really, it's been this mystery for like over whatever ten years now. So, can't trust yeah. them. Yeah. No, can't trust cool the
1: world. No, but when you when you were doing the referral links to the testers, and same with many other. Uh, Creators on the platform. I was watching that, thinking I want to get involved with in this because mm-hmm. I was thinking I could I could do that. But Tesla hadn't yet reached Europe in the same way, oh, so no. I had to watch on in jealousy because I was thinking if I bought an early one and made videos, that could
0: be a business avenue, right? Yeah, you know what's crazy in the beginning, Tesla videos were similar to the videos that you'd make on an iPhone, oh, and yeah. people would love them. Oh, they! And and make, I'm su- I'm still I'm sure to this day they would if I were to make more Tesla videos. But some of my most viewed videos now on the channel are Tesla, like Model Three reviews yeah. of like my favorite things about the tesla the worst thing about the tesla here's how it is after a year well, i and think it's yeah it's it's twofold right there's there's so much <laughs> intrigue in the electric car world
1: positive and negative um the products themselves and tesla's such a talking point controversy overload right with every possible thing i i bought my Taycan, well probably two years ago now as a, an experiment because i thought Porsche electric car let's try this online and the videos I shot with that were huge as well mm-hmm. um, not Tesla level huge but relative to let's say buying a Panamera the combustion engine equivalent they all flew ad rates were super high loads of interest in how the charging network works and that kind of stuff and that kind of series you could say return on investment of that car was very positive mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day that worked really well that's good I
2: got a so. couple of more questions for the Zenvo how long did it take to, to make the car
1: so from start of construction to delivery, probably 15 months, that kind of thing, to to make it. I mean, you got to think it's a small a, company yeah. so that, and they make everything in house, everything. It's not that bad Engine, actually. Gearbox, every carbon part, everything. <laughs> That just contemplating like... buying one.
2: Now. <laughs> no, that's yeah, that like, too long. for me in... months. <laughs> yeah, that, that I that sounds... can only do twelve. And I'm guessing they don't just like sell that to anybody, right? Like, do you have to have connections with? Because you said they only sell what a couple of years. No, year? I,
1: I, I mean, like, let's let's say you called them up and said, "Can I buy one?" And they don't know who you are. They're going to be like, "Come and meet us," and you know, come along to an event where we are with the car, that kind of thing. Because obviously, they want to know that you're a real person, right, really right, buying right. the car. Um, beyond just putting in a big deposit. Um, I think a lot of people in that world are connected to somebody. Very few people who buy a seven figure car wouldn't be known by the company already or Mm. by one of the employees or one of their customers. You know, for example, if somebody reached out to them, they, it might, it's probable that somebody who works there knows who that person is. There's a very, mm. It's a very small world at that end of the, the hypercar game, shall we say. Do you know if the company's profitable? I know that they're putting a lot of money into investment at the moment for future product, which is one of the reasons yeah. why I got involved, because they're developing some really cool stuff.
0: Mm. So I think you should just straight up take ownership in some of the company. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I could afford it. <laughs> um, Still, they could give you 5%. I'm, I'm going to say they, you deserve 5%. Selling it really well, well here. Yeah, you never know,
1: you never know. Hey, I think at the end of the day, this is one of the things we were talking about, right? My goal is to to help promote the company. You know, I've, I've bought the car. It's not like they've given me no. the car or something. They are looking after me with the car. So they'll send a flying doctor to me if the car needs some some help or something. Um, they'll take it to a few events around the world, which is super cool because I get to turn up on my cars there, right? Mm. So this is one of the really exciting parts uh, of the whole process. But what I love is, you know, if I can bring them actual... Business and be part of the company growing. And I'm sitting here hoping that they'll let me be part of that as it happens, you know, future product, future Mm -hmm. opportunities. Because at the end of the day, you know, when they release the new car, one of the perks for me is if I'm the person who's able to film it first, is at the end of the day, that will get loads of traffic on my channel, help grow some extra audience, bring in the revenue associated with the video. There's more to it that in the normal world wouldn't be relevant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just from the extra business avenues that come that. off that. So you got the Zenvo.
2: What's next?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> it took a long time yeah, to get through the Zenvo, right. didn't we, we? Go through these cars, yeah. So Zenvo, TSRS, McLaren Senna, and 4 GT. We mentioned. All right, let's uh, let's start with the Senna. How did you get that allocation for the Senna? That was really difficult, actually. That was that was hard. Really? So I'd had the 12C, the 650, 675 Coupe, and then the Spider. Um, but basically, McLaren wanted you to have owned either a sports series car which was the 570s basically or the uh new super series car which was the 720s now new 720s were riddled with problems early cars were really difficult for their customers right without going too much into it just problem after problem after problem so i had said you know i don't really want one yet you know i I might get one down the line but i'm not going to buy one until it work, because I didn't want to sell my 675, mm-hmm. my previous car, which I still to this day own six and a half years on, and I think is one of the greatest cars McLaren have ever made. So I'd put my name in for the Senna, and I'd put my name in two years before they revealed it, probably one of the first people, as soon as I got wind of the code name of the project coming mm-hmm. along, and what it was going to be a track focused. You know, it's it's not as hyper hyper as the Zembo and other things, but it was the best part of a million dollars of car. Um, So I was super keen on it, but my initial application got Declined. So even though I'd been talking to them about it for ages prior to reveal, um I actually got turned down for getting the car. And I was a bit like, you know, a bit disappointed. I was like, I've owned four cars from a company that's only seven years old. Is that like a, what is it, like an email, like a
2: college rejection letter? No, almost? it was like...
1: more just, I mean, I had a relationship with my salesperson at the dealership. It was they more just casual you, though,
2: conversation. And they just said, hey, sorry, you can't.
1: I think it. it was more we were chatting on a regular basis. So it wasn't. Yeah, it was more like a I'm not sure if I can get you one kind of thing oh, that came up gradually. And way. then it was like I started hearing that other people got them and I didn't have one yet. And I was like, you know, bummed out about it. I was like, come on, i I've been singing this company's praises for years on YouTube. McLaren is my local manufacturer, they're like twenty miles away yeah. from where I live. So it was kind of like what what you know, what did I do wrong type thing. Um and then as it happens, I actually was at um I used to go to and I still do, obviously go to the events they run, the customer track days, for example. And I was at the track day at Spa, and a lot of the senior staff go to those kind of events because that's where they always have their VIP customers generally. You know, you've paid a lot of money to go to these kind of days, so you get some exclusive track time. Um, And a lot of the people who own P1s or McLaren race cars would go to that kind of day. Um, And I was having a a casual chat with um, a friend who's very well connected, Uh, with McLaren and he kind of went over to the CEO who was there and said you know is there any possibility he's here and he came over and we had a chat and managed to make things work which was something they did intentionally Um, the board and CEO level with the center allocations did have I think 100 Mm -hmm. or 500 cars themselves that they could choose who they go to Mm -hmm. beyond the standard dealer network process and I think you know at the end of the day I've done what McLaren would have wanted me to do with the car I've had it on track probably four or five times Done four thousand miles with my car. I still own it. You know, some people stick them for sale the day they take delivery, and I'm not going to sell mine anytime soon. So,
2: so what could you do, like
1: hypothetically, if
2: you take delivery of the McLaren and then sell it immediately afterwards? So blacklisted, right? Yeah, I never give you a car again.
1: Supply and demand with these Mm -hmm. things. You know, some cars values the day you can take delivery will be massively over, and some just simply won't. Um, I think it comes down to the manufacturer. If you flipped a Ferrari. You are gone. Good luck. They will not talk to you ever If you get this new 812 Competizione and you flip it overnight and they figure that you flipped it overnight, because obviously some people do and will buy it in a company name and try and disguise that. Right. Um, If you do flip it, you will not be buying another Ferrari. So hypothetical numbers, that's
2: Senna, right? Yeah. Like immediately once you bought it, how much could you have flipped it for?
1: In the US market, they were much stronger than in the UK market. So initially a little bit. Um, I think initially in the US, maybe 300,000 over. So, a car, a spec car would have cost you around one to 1.1 million and you could sell it for 300,000 over Mm. that kind of thing. Um, They did soften. There was a period where they probably dropped down to, I'm guessing here, Mm. but 800,000 ish. Whereas now, did they only go down to a million? Mm -hmm. They're they're back over a million again now. Um, You know, you see these curves, obviously, depending on availability of credit, what the markets are like, et cetera, et cetera, but also what the demand is like. And with the kind of in our face electric future that is being talked about non-stop cars with combustion engines are in so much demand right now like people just want to enjoy them while they still can so anything from recent years that's in limited numbers the values have just been flying so i believe the center is one for the future because i believe it's one of the fastest cars that will ever be made without electrical assistance how fast Um, is it lap lap record times um of anywhere it goes basically a new genre genre of cars have arrived now the hybrid hypercars the likes of the mercedes amg1 the aston martin valkyrie cars that have even more power and will set even faster lap times but that's what i mean about the lack of any electrical motors also makes it more fun to drive because you're not lugging so much weight around a track um really hard to give any kind of meaningful numbers but if say if the Senna went to the nurburgring in germany it would be like up there it would be lap record time fast It, it Hard to put a specific on it because McLaren don't want that <clears throat> image. They don't actually do it. Interesting. Yeah, some customers have done it with their cars and gone to Silverstone and gone to Spa Francorchamps and gone to you know big circuits and broken records.
0: There's a video topic right there, Graham. How you can make three hundred thousand yeah, dollars overnight. Well, speaking of that, we got to talk about the Ford GT because oh, yeah. that is something I would I would have loved an allocation to that. But I think I think they're all sold out. They've all been spoken for. As yeah, they, as the they're MR. about to finish the build.
1: It's been a long time. Um, I went to the introduction Mm. of the car at the Detroit Auto Show in January 2015. Wow. It's crazy to think about. The first customer car was delivered in the last few days of 2016, which may or may not have something to do with the homologation requirements for the Le Mans win that year, Mm. that you have to deliver a customer car in the same year, (laughs) I believe. But ultimately they've been in production since somewhere in 2017 through to early 2023, six years of So what
0: was your application process like? Did you have the original Ford GT?
1: No, so I never had an original Ford GT. And truth be told, I didn't own a Ford before the GT, um, before I got the allocation for the GT. Um, I went to that launch event. So I was going to all the motor shows. um, And pretty much from day one, I was like trying to talk to everybody I could. I was like, I need one of these. Mm -hmm. We thought it would be a $300,000 car when it was released. It ended up being a lot more than that, especially in the UK. Um, But even that day, I was like running around trying to speak to everybody, you know, all the heads of PR, marketing, eventually like really senior people at Ford and Multimatic who are responsible for the car. So I was in Detroit for three days. So I was at the show stand the whole day, like all day, every day around Mm -hmm. the Ford team and then went back home. And I actually walked into a dealer when I got back home, a Ford dealer in London and just said, Hey, can I order one of these? And they were like, I've never seen that before. That's got to be some kind of weird concept. Yeah. They had no idea what it was, but of course, why, why, why would they? It wasn't in any Ford system Mm -hmm. and Ford. I don't know if you know this, they kind of developed it like a skunk works project in the basement in Detroit. It wasn't, it was other than the 20 or 30 people working on it nobody knew about it really it was completely secret until they did that apple one one more thing style reveal at the show they had been showing the new shelby gt350 mm-hmm. the new raptor and then boom we've got one more thing to show you Ford gt rolls out and the whole crowd is just like awestruck mm-hmm. because i mean i i'd heard a rumor but i think only like a week before it was really quiet it's like massive kudos to them for achieving that um but fast forward nothing really happened i i went to a whole lot of events trying to figure like how do i get one of these like how does this work they they'd said from day one it was only going to be about they said four and a half years of production 250 cars a year so roughly 1100 1200 cars which is about what it is but just over a longer period because it took longer to ramp up the production so i was like it's clearly going to be like diamond dust you know how does this work so i went in june 2015 to le mans the Le Mans 24 Hours where they introduced their race car and announced that they were going to race the next year. Um, So I was like, you know, again, talking to everybody, trying to figure everything out. And I went to all the shows. I went to so many events Mm -hmm. to try and understand it. Then fast forward to April 2016, and they announced that it was going to be this application process, this form you would fill in, where you would talk about what, commercial types you have with Ford. You know, you're a parts supplier or a big customer or something. What your racing experience is, what events you partake in, what different series, your car ownership. And they did ask about your social media mm-hmm. presence. And that was widely documented at the time. Like they're going to give all of these to influencers and, you know, nobody else is going to get one. Um, and I found this <clears throat> really, really, really interesting because obviously I submitted my application. I did it on day one. And you could add a 60 second video to your application and this was only for the first 500 cars two mm-hmm. or three years later they would then do the rest of the cars um and obviously in the first time around you gotta think this is back in 2016 most people don't go out and make a video to apply for a car but right. obviously being a video guy i did um and i it created something that basically snapped into 60 seconds why i thought i just why I thought I'd be a good customer for the car and what I could do with the car and what I do with my current cars. So I showed like driving my McLaren at spa and I showed going to a big event with a massive crowd in my Ferrari in Italy. And I showed just doing all sorts of different car stuff, um, you know, voiceover style on a video, um, that I actually filmed cause I was in Monaco at the time. So I woke up and went and just made wow, the video straight okay. away, same day. Uh, cause in case there was any like priority for doing it faster or something, I was like, I've got to get this in today, day one. Um, and you know, you didn't hear anything until a couple of months later um, when they sent out emails basically letting you know either you had secured an allocation or you were on the wait list for the later cars or you weren't able to get one. And they announced for that first 500 cars that they had six and a half thousand completed legitimate applications. Mm. so Six and a half thousand people who would were in a position to buy that car, which is crazy. And um, you know, my email had come through. Uh, like I say, saying that I had secured an allocation and I was like, Amazing. I can't what was quite, that can't feeling quite like. believe this. At the time I was, well, I was ecstatic and yeah. excited, but I was like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna afford this? Because <laughs> that was double the price of any car. Yeah. Like I had my McLarens, but the UK price of the car was 600,000 pounds. Oh Because wow. it's US price, plus all the import duties and taxes Jeez. and conversion. Is but that before options? Is that like the there wasn't base? much you could okay. add. Sure. So 600 is about where it ended up <clears throat> with options. Okay. It's a bit more now for the later cars. Um. So I didn't really know how I'd got the allocation. I knew that the team from Ford Great Britain had been championing for me to get one. Mm -hmm. Um, They were being amazing. Like they were super keen. But I mean, I was going to all of the events and things with them and covering all Ford products. And, you know, I was telling them that I'd take this car around the world and I'd do a ton of cool stuff with it. What transpired down the line, actually, because not very many people in the social media world did get an allocation like a lot of people had applied for one mm-hmm. as a you know maybe, but very few
0: people did get one. I mean, like I was shocked that James didn't get one because yeah. he had the G the normal four GT well the two thousand five or six. I don't think he had it back then.
1: I think he well, did. He already owned one. Okay, maybe. Yeah. I I think his situation was actually a little bit more complicated around sure. it. Um, but for me, you know, I was just. Thank my lucky stars, like how crazy is this? This is so cool. Um, Blessing in disguise, because like I say, I had to then start working out how to afford it when I'd eventually get it. And there was no information about when it would arrive and what the story would be. So how did it work? Um, Did you have to pay for the car up front? You had to, when it went into build, give a 50% cash deposit up front. Okay. It was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, What was quite interesting prior... Uh, to get into that stage though was was I did kind of find out more about how I had managed to get one because there were only I think 12 UK cars in the first batch so in that first 500 cars it's like really lucky to get one and yeah. mine was the last mine was actually the last European car of the first lot so number mm-hmm. 80 of 80 of the European cars which is kind of cool to this day but what I was told at a later time was that the way I got my allocation was actually that they chose 10 out of all the allocate applications that had videos so they picked 10 of the applications that had a video to choose the cars, and oh mine was gosh. one of those. <clears throat> so it wasn't having a social media following per se, mm. it was that my
0: 60 second video actually stood out. That which which is really cool. Yeah. It made all of that stress that day worthwhile. I am shocked by the way, I look at Bring a Trailer just about every day, Yeah, the number of cars, the four GTs that are being sold right now with zero miles, Yeah, they're almost all completely undriven. A lot of them have still the plastic on the yeah. car, the, the, the protection over the seats, maybe like but 20 this is, to 80 miles. So this, so many people that sat on them? But this is it's
1: really interesting why this <clears throat> is. So Ford tried to avoid people who have garages full of many of these cars. They wanted you to really appreciate your Ford GT. You know, if you own 20 Ferraris, you're not the guy for them. Mm-hmm. They wanted you to be someone who has a couple of nice cars, but this is going to be a car you're going to treasure and you're going to look after and you're going to really love owning. What happened off the back of that was all of a sudden, because people who have a lot of money to buy whatever they want can't get one, the prices overnight hit like two million dollars. So the U.S. cars that were five hundred thousand or five fifty with spec were suddenly selling or being demanded at two million dollars. So your next customers, for whom this is the most expensive car they've ever bought, are looking at a car that potentially has one and a half million dollars upside on it, Mm. and that's life changing. You know, that's genuinely an amount of money that through the best will in the world, you might've wanted to drive it. But like, come on, <laughs> you can yeah. kind of see how that happens. So that, I believe that's basically why that happened. Obviously values have softened, but even still they're a million dollars, right? They're all a million.
0: So there's still yeah. like four or 500 grand. There up. was one that was really interesting. It had like 60,000 yeah. miles on it. And this guy daily drove it on his commute. I think it was like 75 miles each way. crazy. I was daily driving this car and put it up on Bring a Trailer to sell it. And I think it hit $850,000, yeah, $800,000. did not sell, didn't hit the reserve. But still, the fact that someone's willing to pay 300000 over MSRP for yeah. a car with 60,000 miles on it, daily driven like that, uh, goes to show you. And that car apparently had, like, zero issues. Yeah, all complicated mm-hmm. modern
1: cars perform better if you drive them lots. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a firm believer in, like, modern stuff, you know. Yeah. The latest McLarens and especially hybrids the more miles you can do on them the better, but not necessarily crazy crazy miles But like regularly driven sure like, like don't let it sit for six months without being touched kind of thing Very different on slightly older stuff. They don't have all the electronic gremlins and things in mm. the same way seals and things like that still but it's it's not the same um, and the Ford GT is just the ultimate example of a company making a car for a reason you know, that was a massive loss leader for Ford. Mm-hmm. They had this idea that they wanted to go back to Le Mans 50 years after they won with the GT40. They wanted to win it. They did win it. And they were going to do that at whatever expense it would take. And there were loads of discussions about the, the balance of performance and whether the car was, whether it was fair, whether it had been sandbagged in the build up or whatnot. But the fact remains that they did go and win. And that means that every car they built has cost them some huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a car that was introduced to please shareholders to make X profit on each unit etc etc it's a car that was introduced for an emotional reason and i think that's always been a link to values Now, when cars have a reason behind them there's always huge demand around them the latest example of this is the amg1 where they've put the formula one engine into the Mm -hmm. road car and it's the f1 engine that's led mercedes to win eight constructors um eight seven how many is it A few. (laughs) Constructors' championship wins. Brain block right at the second with with that engine. And again, massive cost to the company. But if you want one right now and they haven't even built them yet, you need to stump up a million over already. Mm -hmm. What is it, two and a half
0: million? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's before cars are physical. Believe me, when the cars are physical, it'll be even more. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy, but it's a car with a reason.
0: It seems like it's a lot more common now that cars are, a million dollars is now the base price. Oh, the car market's crazy. You know, if you think to James's Bugatti Veyron,
1: when that car came out, if you wanted to spend a million dollars on the car, you had one choice, mm-hmm. a Bugatti Veyron. That was it. That was the creme de la creme, nothing else. If you want to spend a million dollars on a car now, you've got about 50 choices. It's crazy to yeah. think that that one million dollar flagship benchmark. I mean, Bugatti set the, the the standards themselves because their most expensive car was a one off. They created La Boitier Noir, which is one of my most viewed videos as it happens. Mm. It's on nine or 10 million or something. Wow. So again, the first video in the sure. world from the reveal at the Geneva yeah. Motor Show, doing what I do. Um, that car cost, in Euros, it was 16.7 million. Oh my god! So in the region of 20 million. So the most expensive car in the world 20 years ago was a million, and now it's 20 million.
2: That yeah. is the most expensive car in the world?
1: New car. It, it's actually been superseded since by a
0: Rolls-Royce. Oh, mm-hmm. what is it? The boat? Uh, yeah, the they boat made tail, the swept yeah. tail and then swept the three tail. boat tails. A new yeah. boat tails. Rolls-Royce? Yes. Is how yes. much?
1: That, well, that a, was... a regular production model is a six-figure sum. Up right. to a no, but this exact This one. specific boat tail they never confirmed but it's believed to be in the 25 to 30 million dollar range
2: what makes it so special
1: they made three of them completely bespoke for the customer so so three? not three so i think i think it's one customer and two of his acquaintances I, i'm not entirely <laughs> sure but somebody effectively went to rolls royce and said i would like to build a one-off car with you i want to make one that's for me and no one else and rolls royce is just there? like sure so that experience then for the customer is sitting with the designers to work on it, sitting with the material specialists, sitting wherever, with everybody to be part of every step of the process to so like build that your own Rolls-Royce. See, I wonder
2: how worth it
1: it is for Rolls-Royce to do that,
2: because like you'd think they'd be making a ton more money. Just like $75 million to Rolls-Royce doesn't sound
1: like that crazy of an amount, right? I actually think it's probably quite significant. I mean, I don't know what the actual cost of the car is to make, but... For that money, you can hire quite a few really skilled employees. You can really bring a lot to your company, to your team, and there's got to, let's face it, there's got to be $50 million profit in that or something. Probably. Mm, Okay. But there's also going to be a good image for Rolls-Royce to have custom one-off cars and to be the brand that produces the most expensive car in the world yes you know that really adds to the prestige of the brand
2: so this guy (coughs) like basically hand selected exactly what he wanted in this car and did his two acquaintances get the exact same car did they also get to hand select
1: they're all the same design Mm -hmm. but they're different materials and done in slightly different ways. Got it. And so. what like
2: kind of like unique stuff do they have? Cuz I remember Rolls-Royce they used to come out with or they had this car that like had, you know, the umbrella that pops out of the door. Oh, they they all, all do have that. Like, that was like the big thing like a super <laughs> yeah. long time ago or whatever. Like what oh, kind of no. unique features do no, these We're cars we're talking like, maybe like on the, the umbrella. The, the, the <laughs> your, your. Oh, yes, the, the umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> like seat warmers, you know, you press a button no, 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 and the seat no, no.
1: gets warm, massaging we're, seats. <laughs> we are talking custom wooden teak decks on the rear back that open up to reveal your crystal glass set inside and your expensive cutlery and crockery and whatever else all stored within the back of the car and like does it uh, have like a refrigerator or something in yes it? That's, that's normal. you can have a refrigerator in any Rolls Royce.
0: like that's oh, so, pretty much <laughs> all right so uh, if you could think of it they'll probably do it i heard a lot of it is the type of wood but also like diamond encrusted whatever you oh, can yes. do they have the yeah, diamonds so, in the ceiling liner? I mean, that's a star yeah you can do that on stars, stars, yeah. <laughs> but they do that too <laughs> no it, it's it's like you say it's
1: it's not even just the car it's the fact that the wood will be some super yeah. rare impossible to get wood that is however old and whatever i'm not an expert in that sphere um and the same with every other material you know the type of leather that's used the materials for the switch gear and <clears throat> even the paint it will all be done with things that no one else is gonna do because mm-hmm. the cost is crazy. But I mean, let's let's be real. If you're buying a $25, $30 million car, you're probably in billionaire status. It's it's very different. At yeah, that yeah. level, what can you do that's different? It's like all your yeah. mates have
0: $100 million yachts and private jets and yeah. whatever, right? Oh, I'm gonna own the most expensive Rolls yes. Royce. You know? Now, what I like is the one guy who does the pinstripes. Yeah. Did you see this video on this guy? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen him? Yeah. It's uh, gotta be more than one guy now. They're making too many cars. You think so? It's certainly for a long time has been one guy. It's been, one, been guy. one guy, yeah. I found it so interesting. He said he never took a day off because he was worried that if he takes one day off, he's not going to be as precise. And for those unaware of what we're talking about here, the pinstripe is hand painted. Maybe now it's more than one guy, but for a while it was one person who knew how to do this pinstripe. And he does it in one swoop across the car and he could only get it right once. And any mistake, I I don't know if something like the whole car has to be scrapped. but they have to repaint it. Yeah, they, they have to sand it down. Like the whole yeah. car, the car has to. be... I mean, this oh. is this is a Rolls Royce. It's like a twenty foot car from right. front to end. But <laughs> anyway, this guy does a, a perfectly straight line from the start to the back in mm. one swoop, and his whole life revolves around that one line. What do you think he does? Like, like if he sprains his wrist or something like that? Sure I think
2: happened. he has insurance.
0: <laughs> he has, I'm sure Rolls, Rolls- Royce have mega insurance yeah, on that. He would have that to have insurance crazy. on his wrist. Wow. Yeah. And I think it wasn't he. I think he was trying to teach his son how to do it, or like he wanted to pass on that skill. Or, but that's I mean, what that's what yeah. it is with these cars, right? It's an emotional reason. You you dream of a Rolls Royce because of
1: this, mm-hmm. because of things like this that are just bizarre but so cool. That's yeah. what creates this. Like you know, as a child, is like one one day maybe. Yeah. So, what is the most expensive
2: car sale now? That isn't a new car.
0: Oh, probably the Ferrari, right? The vintage Ferraris.
1: Recently, Mm -hmm. a vintage Mercedes sold for $140 million. And that became the most expensive car in the world. It was sold from the Mercedes-Benz Classic Collection from their own heritage fleet. Um, It's called an Ulanhout, And it's kind of, they literally took their Grand Prix F1 car at the time, put a roof on it and made it a road car prototype. So we all knew this, if this car came for sale, as road cars go, it would be a record sale, and they did an RM Sotheby's auction held at uh, in Germany, um, only a, a year or so, less than a year ago, and it sold for that price. Outside of that, about half of that will get you a Ferrari 250 GTO, which is the kind of go-to that everyone talk has talked about in recent years. But you've got to wonder now, this prestige thing comes back into play, right? Will Ferrari try and find a more expensive car that they can sell to, <laughs> to be the most expensive car sure. in the world again? But it's all, it's it's a funny conversation because the Bugatti Atlantic, there were three of them, there are only two surviving. One's owned by Ralph Lauren and one's owned by someone else. If either of those were sold, it'd probably be more, but you'll never know because it will never be sold. Mm. And there are a few cars like that. Mercedes also owned the, car that Sir sterling moss drove to mm. the win at Mo- uh sorry at the Millimelia. if that car was ever sold again 250 300 who knows yeah because if you want the most famous race car ever you're probably not the only person who wants it and there are a few very wealthy people that will, will fight that fight that one out wow yeah it's really interesting yeah. all
2: right so uh so after the yeah, Ford so after GT, the, what, else, what oh, else we got in there? Right. <laughs> Every car we do a little side to You should get a Model T, an original Ford model. Yeah, that would be T. quite cool, actually. That, that would be make cool. incredible content. So I'm
1: going to wrap this A Steam car would be <laughs>
0: kind of cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: we've, got, we've
1: had Zenvo, Center 4 GT. Okay. Let's do the Mercs. The GT Black Series I've driven here. Mm-hmm. I have an SLS Black Series, which was the predecessor. I have a C63 Black Series. I technically own an AMG GTR Roadster, which is a convertible kind of Mm. one of the one I have here. Other Fords, I have a Shelby GT500 Mustang, which I bought out here, drove 12,000 miles in the US and have just imported to the UK, which is kind of cool because you can't buy Shelby Mustangs in Europe. Aston's, um, the first car I ever revealed on my channel uh, as the Shmimaville, which all Mm. my cars have become named since actually the audience named them that and it's kind of stuck around, Um, was a V8 Vantage Roadster. That was the first time I kind of revealed a car on the channel. It was the first time I ever filmed myself talking to the camera. Was driving that car, so the first time I ever tried to do a review, and it's so awkward to watch back now. And then the same car was the first time I ever did like a vloggy vlog series on on a road trip in 2011. Um, I was so young, and it's so awkward to watch now, but it's mm. kind of where it began. So I sold it in 2012, but I managed to buy it back last year. I managed to track down the same car, so I owned that, and I'd also bought another Vantage from factory which I had been able to film also with Aston Martin, the build, so I'd signed on the chassis and signed on the back of the headrest and that kind of stuff. So that's advantage GT8. And I also own an Aston DBS, the Bond era DBS, which is just a cool car. Um, it's actually for sale, but it's a cool car. I, okay. I had my fix. I got to own it. That was that was um, one of the things. Um, where are we? Uh, Lamborghini, Hurricane STO, which is like, they're crazy in your face. And mine's pink mm. and yellow, which makes it even more in your face. I was like, if I'm going to spec a Lamborghini, I'm just going to do it as crazily as i can Fair. Sure. <laughs> go wild with All it right. um i don't even know where i'm at now thinking around my garage renault's i have a exact matching spec car to the first car i ever owned i actually own the first car i ever owned but it got involved in mm. an accident so it got scrapped and became okay. a cube of metal wow but i managed to track down the cube of metal in a scrapyard, and i owned that wow which is quite bought a, fun. a cube of metal i did how much did a cube of metal cost 125 pounds i think it was
0: that's what do you do with it? Is it art piece Just now. have it. I haven't done anything with it. No. It's just sitting. And make it cut. into a table or that, something. The idea you was know, like to come and, up with cut an art in piece. half, and I'd make like a few tables or something. Yeah, that's absolutely
1: the kind of idea. So I have a replica of it, and I also have a car that Renault made back in the early 2000s, which is called the Clio V6. That not many people know, but they stuck a, a V6 engine in the back of the hatchback, mm. so it's a rear-driven manual mid-engined hatchback, which is bizarre and really cool. They're very quickly becoming. Um, hyper collectible and going up in value um so i got in there on the right time for sure what else do we have i have a show car formula one car from 1997 it's show car chassis one of the winning williams f1 car from that year and that was the last Mm -hmm. year williams actually won the world championship with Jacques villeneuve so to have the show car is really cool it's currently in restoration because it's been repainted and relivered because Nobody really cared about these things back then, and now they're like, "Oh my gosh, this is epic!" So that's just a showpiece to have in the garage. It's mm-hmm. not—it's not a running car. It's just, sure. a, just a show car. um Lotus. I don't currently own a Lotus, but I'm about to own a Lotus. No, I have two Lotuses yeah. in Loti in my garage that yeah. belong to a friend. What about the Exige or the Elise? So, Didn't you get the? So last... I've got two Elises yes. that belong to my friend. So the very final one ever, and one of the very earliest ones. And got the it. number plates are first and final. It's amazing.
0: God, it. is that the orange one? The orange one okay, is the final one. It. So
1: that belongs to friend. I'm about to take delivery of an Amira, the new car. Yes, like literally the day I get home from this trip, I'm taking delivery cool. of my Amira. So that's kind of cool. I haven't mentioned Ferraris. Two Ferraris. The SF90 Stradale, which is actually kind of my daily driver. A daily driver, 1,000 horsepower Ferrari. Oh my gosh, at the moment, which those values really, are crazy. Yeah, but it's um, <clears throat> it has electric drive. It can do the commute from home to home to work. Shall we say to my garage and yeah. back? So. I'm just enjoying it while I can. And then I have the GTC 4 Lusso, which is the four seat V12 Ferrari as well. What do you think the total value is of those cars? The total fleet value in dollars would be roughly, I guess, seven and a half, that kind of region. I feel like
0: it's got to be be more given the number of million dollar cars. I guess I'm going off my insured
1: UK values. Sure. Probably US values, we would be more like 10. Yeah. Probably because the UK market is softer with all sorts of economic reasons and whatnot so we're, we're talking in in that kind of region what's insurance like every insurance month, is horrible insurance yeah. is a big number especially because of the exposure of the cars if you yes. think about it i drive loads of miles i have different people driving them fully open discussions with my insurers they're actually great like they know exactly what i do with the cars they've come mm-hmm. to inspect my garage they spec out security requirements yes. that's something people always ask me like as if we haven't planned it yeah I don't show obviously all the security stuff through the channel but there's so much that we had to put in like the budget just to Mm -hmm. install what they needed at the start was what do they uh, need to give us an idea I mean the obvious are the things like the alarms the sensors Mm -hmm. the bollards the camera systems the backup systems the multiple connections the just endless list of stuff Wow Um, all fully monitored all with police presence really nearby or with everything um, you know the police have been to visit, so they know what to do and where to go and how to access anything. They've got that all filed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like a full-on, full-on list of things. So the insurance company I would say that I use are actually pretty good to me, considering what I do with all the cars. But it is, you know, my my annual spend on a on my car insurance is like enough to buy my Aston DBS.
0: For example, so we're talking like yeah. a hundred thousand dollars. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but it's a business expense. Yeah. Et well, yeah
1: not fully um you know it's not like a 100 percent write-off but i can expense parts of it so it's it's kind of yeah it's just part and
0: parcel so for a lot of these cars though how much of it is a balance between what's going to do well for business and youtube versus how much is your passion of i want to buy this car yeah it's it's really interesting you know because a car has a longevity to it
1: sorry i should say a restricted lifespan to it on youtube you know once people have seen something for three years they don't care anymore you know there's not going to be any more interesting content to come around that so for example some of my older cars that i've owned for six or seven years if i was doing this purely for business Mm -hmm. they would have been on the chopping block ages ago you know they they make no sense to keep because i still pay to insure them to tax them to run them to service them to maintain them you know and it all adds up significantly whereas let's say the income generated against them is kind of gone Mm -hmm. but that's where the personal side comes in one because i'm a hoarder (laughs) two because i just love them you know the memories the experiences and i think i said earlier this is one of the things for me is like if you ask me why why would i work hard what's my like goal it's because i want to own and enjoy these cars Mm -hmm. so being lucky enough to do that i feel like what would i what would be the benefit of selling a car that has a personal connection to me right now and i don't need to release the capital you know it's equity that at some point in the future i can if i need to and i believe it's quite a good place to have funds anyway sure at the end of the day i think it's an interesting space and a space obviously i know quite well so on the one hand there are cars like that on the other hand there are very much cars that i've bought specifically for a content series you know i know when i buy it i'm keeping it for a year Mm -hmm. or something Maybe it's a bit of a project. Maybe it's to do it up. Maybe it's for a specific trip or something. Or maybe because I already know that there's a successor model coming that it that will replace it. Sure. You know, that kind of thing. So there's a, there's a variety. There's no one rule of thumb. Like I say, the Zenvo wouldn't make sense as a car for specifically for the channel. Mm-hmm. But then when you balance the fact that it's really cool to do that and there's potentially some upside in the future as well. And you know, if the company's successful, my car's going to be worth a lot more than I paid for it also. So that's a like a fun right. element to throw into it I so being that. part of that hopeful success for them um you know something like something like the lambo is actually quite funny i bought the lambo thinking i've got to have a lambo on the channel because mm-hmm. you know, i look at james with a right, garage yeah. of lambos i look at Dana <clears throat> and exotics with, with everything they do and you know lambo mm-hmm. has always been the key to success on youtube i knew way back when i when i changed my first McLaren to the second i knew then if i bought an aventador it would do better. Mm-hmm. I knew that because that was right at the time when people were discovering they made flames and you know yeah. they were just YouTube gold. Um, and it was actually the Dubai police video I mentioned had an, had their Aventador as the thumbnail. It's one of the reasons why it did so well, mm-hmm. right? Um, so I had known that, but it wasn't really me. You know, I I didn't want my only supercar to be a Lambo. I'm not that in-your-face guy to drive right. that kind of thing. Um, I'm more into the technical side of you know the McLaren, more about the driving dynamics than the flare um but i figured it was it was time you know i've owned cars i've been lucky to own cars from everyone else um in the supercar space um exception being rolls royce and bentley because i'm saving that kind of luxury car for Got to have something to look forward to Mm -hmm. um so i was like i'll try it i'll order a lambo and you know make a whole series around it but i tell you what i really enjoyed it Mm, (laughs) i really really? liked it i actually put it up for sale (laughs) because needs must i had to had to clear some funds um for a few other projects and things and it's still advertised for sale at this point in time, no one's bought it, but I think I'm going to take it back. I want it really? back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's still mine, so I can,
0: right? Right. Yeah. Um It's one of those, like, I won't be unhappy if it doesn't sell. Sure. You know, what's your team look like, by the way, to maintain that? I imagine that's got to be someone's full time. Yeah, completely. completely. Bill, oil changes. Oh, it takes time. I mean, I've come here from
1: being with James in Utah, yeah. and he's managing his... 15 odd cars himself and I'm like Mm. you're crazy this is this is too difficult when I got to about I think around 12 cars was where I was like "I, I can't do this because one stuff goes wrong with them but two every car needs a service every year probably needs a dealer visit for something else every year and then you've got to deal with all the paperwork and documents and checking over and making sure everything's right and it's if you're living a busy schedule, running a business and, you know, on the go every five seconds, you can't do that. So back at home, I have two guys employed effectively at my garage, which we call the museum. And they actually make videos behind the scenes mm. of the garage, which is quite fun as well. Um, and actually, it's a completely different type of content, but the audience have loved it, which is which is amazing. Um, outside of that, a um, couple of people working full time on the like business side, you know, brand partnerships setting up the shoots and opportunities because I'm filming nearly every day. Mm-hmm. Um my partner travels with me. So we film all the videos together, which is quite fun, and ran it manage all of the short form content and social media. So we're kind of if you include like all the full time people plus a couple of part time helping run my Facebook page and that kind of stuff. It's about ten people run the whole operation. Wow. Which people don't realize. Yeah. People think you just flip up a camera and start filming and that's your video. That's done. Um but I think anything like this and you know Within the next couple of weeks, my main channel is going to hit a billion views, which is quite fun. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm super excited about it. With anything that's kind of at that scale, there's a whole lot more that goes into it, right? It's not just, I mean, you know, with your operation and everything to manage multiple channels and multiple outlets and creating all sorts of different types of content to go in different places. Somebody might just see like your main channel and that's all they see mm-hmm. and they don't realize around that you're actually uploading something else every single day on right. other places. And it's not, it, it takes serious amounts of time and organization and structure to do it. I'll be out filming, I've just got off a plane, I'm somewhere hot and I'll forget half the things I have to do. So if I don't have people around to kind of support the operation, it's not gonna happen.
2: Can you talk about your income as a percentage? Let's say you can like draw a high. Mm-hmm. What, you know, how big are each slice as percentages? Uh,
1: it's very hard to to say because it fluctuates a lot mm. um you know this this time of year or at the end of the year you know lead, lead up to christmas obviously ad revenues are really high because companies are, are promoting in a big way um let's say the shmi 150 network it's probably roughly a third is social media so not just youtube it used to just be youtube but now facebook and everything else has taken off in a big way a third is brand deals brand partnerships and a third is probably other things which could be affiliate type things, merch, just all sorts of other stuff that comes up, you know, appearance fees or hosting fees or licensing or who knows what. Random question, but what
2: is the worst thing that's happened to you while driving a car? Like, have you ever been driving like a super (laughs) fancy car and then, I don't know, something gets kicked up and cracks the windshield? a
1: A truck drove into me when I was driving my center. That was pretty bad. It hit you? Yeah, that was pretty bad so that makes it sound way more dramatic than it was i'm sorry it was completely fine and it wasn't too bad it was just a very big bill um i was driving down to one of the biggest events of the year which is the goodwood festival of speed held in the uk so that's for me an absolute must event it's equivalent to monterey car week and pebble beach that happens over here um and the car was due to be on show so it was due to be on a stand that evening i was driving it down just picked it up Sitting in traffic, so I'm going at fifteen miles per hour. No joke, fifteen mm. miles an hour. I'm in the exit lane to take my exit off the highway. Obviously left side for the UK. And I just get a massive bang from my right shoulder. And a truck in the adjacent lane, I believe, had been flashed out by the car behind me, so he was late to take the slip road. The slip lane and the car behind had kind of backed off and flashed and he just hadn't seen me there and he pulled full straight into the back of the center. Yikes. Which damage wise was vastly more visual than it was mechanical. It was just body panels. So no damage to the suspension or to the the like mechanic side of it at all. But I can tell you a center door, wing, spoiler, wheel, and those kind of cosmetic parts are very expensive. The repair bill on their insurance was enough to buy would have been enough to buy another like flagship McLaren car, like a super series. What would you
0: have done if they didn't have the proper insurance? So in the UK you have to. Okay. It works quite quite differently. Um, even up to that value because here in the US you would have a value of let's say a lot of people would have the minimum of let's say 25 50 grand after that that, you you would have to sue them personally but they wouldn't have the money no they wouldn't um so in the UK all policies are I
1: don't know if they're unlimited Mm -hmm. but they're certainly tens of millions so you're kind of covered every policy there's probably a government-backed type type system I'm not entirely sure or maybe it's like all the insurance companies work together but we have vastly more camera control for this kind of things so these kind of things so every police car has what's called an anpr system automatic number plate recognition so if an anpr system flags a number plate without insurance the person gets pulled over immediately Mm. like every cop car would have that so you can't really go very many places without getting pulled over um so insurance is much more strictly monitored here it's obviously a bit more of a problem
2: and just out of curiosity, what happened after that accident? Was that guy just like freaking out? Because I can imagine the phone call yeah. with the insurance company. Or- so he's <laughs> driving a big rig. Why did you hit?
1: And obviously, his his company policy was basically he's not allowed to talk about it. Oh. So he, we weren't allowed to talk. He wasn't allowed to talk about it. So wow. it was really frustrating. It took 21 months to get it settled. Oh my God. And it was like a week before I started my Ford GT trip in the US. So I was dealing with this in the US with the time zones. So every morning I would wake up. Two hours earlier than I needed to, because I had to spend two hours on the phone call to lawyers and stuff. It was an absolute nightmare.
2: Mm. And what was your immediate feeling afterwards? Like, wh- so I just do wanna you know? What, you know what? The my, my, you so were obviously,
1: immensely stressed. But my biggest feeling, and this is really, really weird, I was supposed to be driving the Ford GT, but we were running behind schedule, and I just put the Ford GT in a truck. Um, because oh no, sorry, the truck that was due to take it had had due to take the center had left, which is why I was driving mm. the center. I was supposed to be driving the GT and I was going to come back and get it later. Um, but obviously, a week before my four GT trip to the US. So I've already booked the plane airfare for the cargo. I've already paid for it all. I've already booked the whole thing. So my, my first thing on the day was thank goodness it wasn't the GT, <laughs> partly because Gosh. the center is an easier car to repair than the GT because the factory is around the corner. Right. This actually happened about 10 miles from the factory. No joke. Like, it, it, I, was, I was thinking at the time, you know, if this happened to the GT, which I know. Every car has its own kind of unique body panels. You can't just get a new bumper and put it on; it doesn't necessarily fit so perfectly. Plus, the fact that if it needs to get fixed, it has to go to Canada, which is also a little bit of a problem. Even though I guess it was booked to fly to New York, but that's neither here or there. So I was definitely thinking, thank goodness, my GT trip isn't ruined. And what
2: about the display afterwards?
1: So I put the GT on the stand instead. So obviously, very lucky to have the option to do that and yeah, to have yeah. to have these kind of cars and to know the right connections to help with. The logistics, and I think being a car YouTuber, it had been on my mind for a long time before. If I ever get involved in an accident, what's the procedure? You know, what's the what? What do I have to do? Because obviously, the public are going to know about it. This is at the side of the UK's busiest motorway in a traffic jam. Everybody knew about it straight away. While I was at the side of the road, probably five different people I knew drove past me. Mm. Like it it was, everybody knew about it. And I think a bit of. You just have to stay calm and have to, like, think about what's happened and what you do. You know, firstly, everyone's OK. It wasn't a high speed impact at all, obviously. So so no, no drama, no airbags, nothing like that. Second thing is, right, I need to explain this because if I don't explain it, people are going to run away with all sorts of rumours and stories and things. So I did make a video on the day straight away. Um, and I think that's, you know, that was the right thing to do. Not blaming anybody, not, you know, it's just it happened. It's not too bad. We're all fine. Let's see what happens down the line with this. Mm. Because, you know, you could make a video kicking and screaming and being like, Ah my God, I can't believe this idiot drove into me, et cetera, et cetera. But what do you gain from that? Mm. You know, at the end of the day, firstly, it's a car, it could be fixed. Nobody's hurt. That's the most important thing. But equally, you're in a state of shock. You don't you don't really know you haven't processed it all yet. You know, I'm like, I've never that was the first time I'd been involved in a road accident. So it's the, and I mean, I say accident because obviously it's, I could still drive home. It's not like mm. it's whatnot, but it was the first time taking that in. And especially what it would happen to my most expensive car, right? The center cost more, although worth less than a GT, it did cost more to buy. Um, so I would say that was like just super intense thinking about everything because there were the different elements of it there was the getting the car to the show stand that i've promised and committed to there was the i need to explain this somehow and then there's the i'm already dealing with the logistics because i've got to get multiple cars down to this event tonight which starts tomorrow morning so put all of that together and yeah it was a challenge
2: and what about just like any other random thing that could potentially happen to you while you're on the road? For example, I was just recently driving a bit ago and a massive cardboard box hit this semi truck right in front of me and flew over and it was flying on the freeway and I was driving my car and I was like, oh my gosh. And I like swerved out and I swear <laughs> this thing was like a homing missile. Like it yeah. went this way. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I swear this way. It flies like it this way. It happened like, okay, in slow yeah. motion. And then this massive box just hits the front of my car. And I look and there's like some scratches and stuff like that. Yeah. But stuff like that just happens. And whether or not you have control over it, like sometimes sometimes you don't,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, the car I have here has a small crack on the front splitter, which happened because I hit a tire that was on the road, like a truck tire that had just been left in the middle of the highway. Like uh, driving at night, didn't see it. And that
2: that doesn't necessarily worry you too much. You're still just (laughs) like, you know, I'm still going to drive these cars. I'm going to enjoy these cars.
1: Yeah, Uh, so the closest to near disaster we came was actually when I was filming with uh, another friend in the youtube world uh, life of palos aaron palos mm-hmm. we were filming together in colorado and we were driving on the highway in his ferrari ff um followed by my partner driving in my gd 500 and there was a um a ladder on the highway <sighs> there was a ladder across our lane like no joke full-on nice. like extendable kind of if you drove over that that would have destroyed the car because mm-hmm. that would have been front under trays everything um thankfully we we avoided it but that was definitely a moment we were like whoa <laughs> that could have gone wrong Jeez. do you know what I, i've been very lucky that there haven't been too many disasters mm-hmm. like bad things i mean i've had more than enough flat tires or ran out of fuel because there are no gas stations anywhere or you know like stuff that almost is just kind of it just fades into right, you don't remember right, it because right. it doesn't really stand out i think the things that have stood out to me like the random really cool stuff that's happened mm-hmm. you know that just people you meet along the way or places i've ended up and that kind of thing what about speeding tickets i'm pretty good with speeding <laughs> really tickets. yeah no speeding tickets never had any points on my license really oh. in the uk okay um i've had a couple of the like tiny ones I i don't think i've ever had a speeding ticket in the u.s i've probably driven in the u.s in total i would guess probably somewhere 50 60 70 000 miles i've never had a speeding ticket in the u.s
2: mm. as fast as you've ever gone in a
1: car oh very fast how fast? Well, you could uh, stay on a track, right? No, no, I, I drive in Germany all the time. I used to have a oh, place in Germany. Oh, yeah. yeah, the Autobahn, right? So the car I've got outside has been yeah. 205 miles an hour on the 205? Autobahn.
0: 205? Yeah. Does it not scare you? No, it's completely legal. It's fine. I know, Can't but, but, but not I'm not saying that, but, yet, but just but, like yeah. your life. Like if anything were to happen at that so, speed, it's like, what's... The thing I should stress, and yeah. perhaps I say I've been 202, like
1: just, just throwing it out there, is that before you do that, like you're getting a car looked over, you know, you're doing it. Right, You're not just jumping into someone else's car that you don't know and mm-hmm. keeping your foot pinned at 205. I think when you drive frequently, I mean, I've probably driven 50 different cars over 200 miles an hour. So I've got quite a lot of high speed driving experience. And, you know, you're not going to go flying past a car that's going 70 at 200. Like that's mm. stupid. In so every you do it in a wide way. open road? Yeah. So you'll only go that speed if you're on a straight section with distance you can see to be clear you know, on a Sunday morning, you're not going to be doing that on a Friday afternoon, right on a busy bit of Autobahn. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's actually a very delicate topic in Germany because there are constantly things where people have driven their cars to top speed and it perhaps hasn't been as safe as it is. And, you know, you shouldn't obviously technically you shouldn't glorify the speed of it, but it is legal to do so if conditions allow. Um, I think it's, it's one that probably won't be around forever though. I'm not going to allow that to stick around.
0: Are there many accidents on the Autobahn or is it relatively safe? It's it's actually
1: relatively safe because
0: the lane etiquette of
1: German drivers is unbelievably good. Like, no joke. People will always look in their mirror before they move over. People will always tuck back to the right after they've passed. Like, it's Mm. really good. Um, I've never... There's nowhere else in the world where people follow the the, the highway Why code as well is? as they do i think automotive is instilled in the blood from the beginning they grow up in the country with the autobahn mm. so if you know there's a chance that when you're going at you know the equivalence of 70 miles an hour it's obviously in kilometers in germany you know there's a chance that a car is going to come up behind you at 150 because you know all the german cars are or the majority of german cars are uh, electronically limited to 155 which is 250 kilometers an hour so everybody knows that if they're driving at 120 there could be an e-class or an Audi A8 or something that just comes flying up behind them at 250 kilometers an hour, 155. I think if you know that from a young age, you're very conscious then that when you start driving, it's just part of it. You're Mm -hmm. always going to look in your mirror. Also,
2: if you are going like, I don't know, 90 plus, 100 or so miles an hour, you probably are more scared to like get distracted (coughs) by your phone or to like not be super. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whereas if you're going like 65 or like 50, you know what I mean? You probably like, "Eh, yeah,
1: it's not a big deal if I- I I don't know the exact figures, but I wouldn't be surprised if even the German, you know, accident rate per X miles or kilometers is probably even better than many countries you would be surprised by. Mm, Obviously if there is an accident at high speed, it can get very, very messy very quickly, but the accidents aren't that frequent. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people most people aren't stupid, right? Most people know that driving 200 is not a good idea yeah, I mean, if you're not ready for it. I feel like you're in the U.S. People are that stupid, though. Unfortunately, some yeah. will be. Well, some will be everywhere. Yeah, I think Germans are very sensible overall. Sure. So what is your thought now on the car market today? Car market's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I know you've talked a bit about a lot of people are probably going to go upside down on car loans. Mm-hmm. You know, Values have been very high in the last year or two mostly because of shortage of manufacturing people basically ha- were sitting on money grants loans whatever and didn't really know what to do so people have been out buying and now there's a ramp up more in production more cars hit the market values are going to come down can kind of only go one way which has already started um you know if you look at the the top end of the market it's not really affected you know people who can buy multi-million dollar cars can still buy multi-million dollar cars they might there might be some who need to get funds out to keep their business alive or something like that and there was a lot of that in the pandemic you know fire sale Mm -hmm. of different cars for people to keep their businesses alive, which is respectable I think Um, I worry about it much more in the world where people are financed into something beyond their means and this will heavily hit the 100 to 200 thousand dollar car market where people who are like I have been in the past financed into something with very little room to spare because they wanted to, because they could. And I know this is the industry I know best, mm-hmm. which isn't obviously the, the mass complete globe <laughs> from any respect, but it's the world I spend most of my time around and the markets will move very slowly and eventually prices are just going to come down and, down and down and down and down and down. And there'll be a lot of people who
0: need to pay money to get out of their loans. Hmm. I th- it's, it's going that way completely yeah what do you think about the hyper cars the cars five hundred thousand to a million or I think, above? yeah i think i think if we say five hundred thousand up i
1: think really the global market for people who buy those kind of cars is actually not shrinking in the slightest mm. you know a lot of people have made a lot of money in recent years um i mean it was actually fascinating how many people specifically through crypto made a lot of money very quickly um the auction market in the last two years has been fascinating because a lot of cars have been bought by people who've made millions overnight and mm-hmm. just want whatever car they want, right? So they just buy it. I think if you if you have a big crypto portfolio and you're used to watching it going up by a six-figure, sure. up and down by a six-figure or seven-figure sum every five minutes, you kind of lose some of the sense of, let's say, appreciation of the value that a traditional collector might have. Yeah. you know, So all of a sudden, that car that should have been one and a half million, that's two million, million. You know, whatever right they just buy it lots of those cars are actually now quickly coming back to the market unsurprisingly um i think generally speaking though that demand is just going to go up Mm. the the combination of the fact that no new car really does what older cars do you know they don't have that same passion and involvement because it's all tech it's all electric you know there are some fantastic electric cars that are arriving now like the performance figures are mind-blowing and what they can do is mind-blowing but let's face it, no one needs a $1 million, $2 million, $3 million car. Like, there's no need for that. The reason you buy that is because your heart says, I want that. And if you want that, you generally want an emotional connection with it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's because you've always dreamt of owning a Ferrari or whether that's because you want to feel a vibrating engine, you know, the rawness of the revs as they get up towards the top and you pull a paddle or engage the next gear or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So I think that end of the market, as we're seeing, really, you look at cars like the f40s and f50s you know those really prestige names both manufacturers and the models those are very solid Mm. investments um you know my my favorite car my dream car is a ferrari f50 that was my first poster car they came out in the mid 90s i was you know seven years old eight Mm -hmm. years old whatever it was um they were pride i don't know exactly but four or five hundred thousand dollars not very long ago and now a good one is six million yeah that's the car that's like it was completely out of reach 10 years
0: ago at 500k mm. couldn't have dreamt of that and now it's at six million it's completely out of reach i can't yeah. dream of that what, <laughs> so, like, is there any car now that that you feel like is the next one for you to get like i would think a carrera gt for you would be like that so carrera next. gt is really
1: Softly priced in the UK versus here Mm. here. They've started hitting a couple of million which to me is crazy one and a half Yeah, Yeah. it's crazy crazy. Um, Good chunk under that for a UK car. I mean for sure That's like a a dream. But again, there was a time when I was offered a Carrera GT for two hundred and twenty thousand pounds I remember it well So the idea of paying nearly Mm. a million now is still like oh I could have bought that for 80% less You know what
0: about like a Lexus LFA
1: again another car I would love but same story I was offered one for 200,000 euros. You remember when no one was buying those? Yeah, they were sitting on lots unsold. You could get money off. It's the same problem for me. Um, I was super lucky to buy my SLS Black Series. Um, I actually bought it at the time, February 2020, I bought the car. Mm. You can imagine the weeks that followed that, I was like, what have I done? The world's about to fall apart. Spending, (laughs) buying a car of that value outright was not a good idea at that particular time. Luckily, I guess for me, weathered that storm, um, had to make quite a few cuts during twenty twenty and things, but come out the other side of it and those cars and that's worth at least two X what I bought bought it for. So I'm very happy about that on the other side. But certainly there was a period of like, Whoa Whereas if I didn't already own one, I'd be looking at the market now and saying it's gone. That ship sailed. I think I'm too much of a I'm too calculating in the sense of I could have done that. Sure. And I'm not you know, I get as I think anybody who's in the public sphere who people think they can make a quick buck out of does. I get plenty of people offering me stuff I don't really want for massively inflated figures. And it's like I didn't get here by making unwise decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same with cars. You know, I, I enjoy the fact that I'm lucky to drive so many of these all the time through my videos. You know, if I would like to drive a Carrera GT or an F50, it's probably just a phone call away. And that's a crazy position to be in. And I can't, you know, I can't believe I can say that, but i truly thankful that it's the case. Just, I couldn't justify doing it. I get that.
0: Yeah. Where are you investing today? Is it all in the cars or are you buying real estates? So, I'm I'm very heavily in the cars, obviously. Yeah. Too many
1: eggs in one basket in any realistic, normal world. But I think my justification for it is that this is my life. You know, this is the life I live is making the videos and being invested in cars means that I have more avenues for content and I just enjoy making the videos. So, Mm. it's kind of... Maybe that's my man math sales pitch to myself. Sure. Um, I've put in small investments into some different things, obviously have some money in the stock markets. Never really did the crypto thing. Started in crypto in the early days. I bought some Bitcoin when it was like $10. No. Yeah. But I sold it what when happened? it was a hundred. Uh, I was like, I've done quite well. Here. Next, yeah. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> it's peaked. Yeah. Well, that was, yeah, I think 2012, maybe oh about that kind of time. Wow. How yeah. did you
0: find Bitcoin at $10? I don't really
1: know to be honest i think a friend must have mentioned it i i i really couldn't tell you um but i i was i was more having fun playing the quick ups and downs rather than kind of buying and holding mm. i just had a little bit of in and out but like i say once it got to that figure and then you know watched it all go up ah, like, oh, i should have stuck with that i should have stuck with things in tesla and should have stuck with everything but shouldn't we all um at certain points um, but I haven't really gone into the real estate thing, partly because you you got to think this is another difference in markets and locations. Um, UK property, at the time I could have got in and started things, you know, let's say six, seven years ago, hasn't really increased since. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not quite the same growth and demand as you see in like southern Florida or here in Vegas, for example. It's, it's, quite, it's quite different. So I have no regrets about that up to this point. I mean, they'll they'll become a time, and you know, I'd love to build myself a nice house or something. Sure, some sure. inspiration from some friends of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm I'm more on the road with all my videos, I travel a lot, um, and quite enjoy my current setup.
0: You know, I rent a, an apartment in London, works works quite well, so I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. Speaking of Bitcoin, I had an interesting experience. I had a buddy when I was probably twenty-one really into the tech scene and he first introduced me to Bitcoin when it was a dollar and he was showing me all the cool stuff on the Silk Road and not like cool stuff is in like a higher hitman or something like <laughs> that but he was showing me like you have to like just just the intricacies of like what's involved in that and I just found it so cool that like oh you have to do this and I remember him telling me Bitcoin like everything was done with Bitcoin. And I remember thinking, "Oh, is just a Bitcoin a dollar?" He's like, "No, they just happened to be trading at the same same levels." So that was like my first yeah. intro to Bitcoin back then. But he took me to some sort of—I don't know if it was a conference or some sort of like his work tech event—and there was a dude there who was going up to everybody, handing out these cards. And he came up, is he like, hey, "I'm just trying to promote Bitcoin, and there's a wallet address on here, and there's like a Bitcoin on it, or something like that." And I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. And I put it in my pocket and I went home and maybe like a few weeks later I took it out and I, I like typed in because it wanted you to go to this website and like type in the address and I typed in the address and I remember thinking like, I think it was either half a Bitcoin or a Bitcoin that was on there, but I remember seeing the value of it as being like two, three dollars or something worth I was like, what am I going to do with this? And I just left it there and I kept that card for years in a drawer and When Bitcoin hit, it must have been like fifty or sixty thousand. I'm like, I should go to that card. I'm gonna find it. And I looked through everywhere. I threw it out. Yeah. Could not find it. So somewhere out there is one of those cards. And then I looked it up online to see if other people were getting the same cards. And sure enough, there were maybe about a dozen people doing this, handing out these cards just because they're excited to like share the message of Bitcoin back then. Yeah. And I found cards that looked very similar to to the one that I received and it was like this kind of holographic credit card looking thing But yeah, so it's out there. I threw it away So in some dump somewhere is a Bitcoin maybe half of one. My brother has a very similar story Really
1: bought a bit bought one BTC for I think I can't remember Maybe it was a hundred two hundred that kind of region and on his laptop Mm -hmm. Obviously moved to another laptop by the time it got to a lot of money went back to his old laptop Couldn't turn it on hard drives bricked itself it's kind of like,
0: what can I do um, to get this back? Yeah. Nope. What I find interesting, and I think this is going to come the f- way in the future of Bitcoin, you know, just depending on what happens, but how many Bitcoins are out there that are just inaccessible? Yeah. If there's 21 million Bitcoins, what percentage of them are just straight up never going to enter circulation because they were lost? Well, Every day, probably a few more than before. Right. So I'm curious the true number of real Bitcoins that are out there. Is it 15 million? Is it going to be 14 million? It's not 21. Well, a lot of the early miners
1: or distributors will have had much larger quantities that they can't get into now Mm. right so anybody who's acquired bitcoin in recent years presumably still has it or knows the value of it yes whereas it was so much easier to get nearly 10 years ago but probably harder to still have an interesting
0: question it would be We'll find out one day. Yeah. Uh, my last question for you How do you post a video a day? How have you done that <laughs> for 13? I didn't realize it's every day. Yeah. Um,
1: across all the channels, it's it's literally been a video every day. Um, the only year I went every single day without fail was 2017. I uploaded it on my main channel every single day of the calendar year, and it was intense. At the end of the year, it was kind of, I need a break. Um, I think just because I enjoy it so much. You know, we get to do so much cool stuff, drive so many incredible cars, opportunities that, a really pinch me pinch myself moments all the time mm. um and i enjoy every factor of it i enjoy both the cars the filming the travel so the things that would normally put somebody off from doing that because they need a break from their job or from their work isn't an issue for me you know i i long believed that you know if you love what you do you never work a day in your life mm. and i think i'm lucky to be in that space um you know there's a ton of hard work boring stuff accounts booking things, travel plans, et cetera, et cetera. But the highlights are so cool and I try and be quite efficient with the way I film. You know, I've obviously evolved over time, the techniques behind it. There's very little redundant footage. It's very much filmed in a way that I know how it's going to be edited or how I'm going to edit because I edit most of the content still myself as well. Let's capitalize on what I'm good at, which is knowing details about cars, you know, create the content in that way. Or if I'm out of my element rather than struggling through, invite somebody into the video who does know what we're talking about, that specific model or Mm. somebody from the brand or somebody from the collector themselves or that kind of thing um, to make it all quite smooth and try and just shoot it in a way that it's actually not as time consuming as people think you know for me like a good video is one that i film within an hour or two and takes 10 minutes to edit sure then i've done it right you know it still does tons of views not, happens very rarely you don't
0: have a video idea that day
1: but you're like it's got to post something yeah, ahead really? it's all very planned ahead i'm i'm super on it with my schedules and agendas so a complete travel itinerary that my whole team has access to is quite a manual document to be honest but you know Every line is a day. Here's the video I'm filming. Here's where I'm going to be. Here's the travel I'm doing. Here's the Google Maps route link. Here's the booking references. Here's everything. And then a separate document, which is what's going live on each channel and each platform every day. So color coded. So if I'm stuck for an idea, it's red. If I've got the idea, but it's not filmed yet, it's orange. If I filmed Mm. it, it's yellow. If it's good to go live, it's green. So it's super visual. You just load it up. You can see instantly. Oh my gosh, in three days, there's a problem. Cue brainstorming. Mm. Yeah, so it's wow, there's a lot of it's very cool planning behind the scenes, which definitely comes from working in finance, you know, spreadsheets and being that. like on that details definitely from the, the work background.
0: That's cool. Do you have anything, Jack? Anything else?
1: I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I, I why, did ask,
2: yeah. I did ask overrated cars what's an underrated car? Oh, underrated cars, I like that.
0: What's underrated? Mazda you come- <laughs> That's my guy. I, I I'm gonna say that, I, I guess that yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say the second generation Acura NSX for me. Second generation, mm-hmm. so the not the like, so the new hybrid one, latest, latest
1: one. I actually agree. I quite like them. Mm-hmm. I do quite like them. Um, most people find them a bit. I, I think probably quite a few new cars are underrated, especially by petrol heads, because they don't have the the noise of older cars. But technology, can, technologically, can be significantly obviously more advanced you know things like hybrids you still got a combustion engine that sounds great but mm-hmm. you can experience that tech as well um I'm trying to think of something a little bit older that would be quite underrated or undervalued or something there are so many i mean i've got a short list of cars more from my childhood that mm. i'm really looking to to add to my collection or just
3: like
2: a
1: you know yeah. a random car that you really appreciate a car i like and i would but the thing is anything i say now the value <laughs> i'm sorry you gotta buy no. it first yeah i gotta buy it first we'll wait no. to post until you buy the car <laughs> no you're good um a, a car i'm really after at the moment actually that i'd like to find one of is a bmw one m which is that is one series coupe manual gearbox limited edition kind of last hurrah that they made of it and i think that's a very interesting era so this is 2011 um because this is an era of if you think the way the car market or the limited edition or supercar market moves is often in generational phases. So when people who had those cars on their posters when they're a teenager get into the position to have some money, they go and buy them. So you see cars becoming valuable about 20 years after they existed or hmm. introduced. It's it's If you look through time, it's actually quite cyclical like that. Um, so I think a lot of cars from the early 2000s that perhaps haven't been appreciated in recent years are about to be appreciated a whole lot more. If you could have one
2: car in the entire world that's ever existed, okay, but you can't sell it, yeah. get it for free, and you can't make any content around it, nor Ooh. bring it to meets and get like external benefit by networking, so own like it and drive it just privately. owning,
1: just driving privately. F50. Easy? Yeah, it's easy for me. Because the F50 mm. is an older car, it's 25 years old, would never be great for videos. Videos always like new stuff. I mm. think older just doesn't work so well. Whereas the F50 for me, I'd just go and drive it every morning and be a very happy bunny. Mm. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: I haven't driven that many cars to really give a good answer. That's the honest truth. I mean, yeah. I love the, the Model 3 Tesla. It's like a daily driver. But the favorite car that I've ever owned was probably the uh, Lotus Elise.
1: It's the oh. most fun. I was thinking you might pick a Ford GT.
0: No, it, you know what? I Something about the Lotus of just feeling like really tight and secure within the car and like have it be really nimble and like you could see everything around you and tiny like, impractical uncomfortable. yeah i like, like that a miata. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a miata yeah. but better. <laughs> yeah the ford gt I, I like the car but i'm terrified to drive it i feel like it's very wide i'm always paranoid i'm gonna go over like one of those bumps when i'm parking yeah you know, like the little speed things um i'm just paranoid something's gonna happen to the lotus elise was something i never had to worry about it yeah that's true you don't have to worry about getting your head chopped off either. yeah or that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for gt problems yeah well, I, i'm i'm good i'm not too tall so like i never have to yeah we're telling telling every head. passenger who gets every in. passenger i do yeah. and it's but even for me i know like i have you know a few inches but like you're still pulling scared it, it's of it like the, the because thing it's, is, a, it's a metal blade you're pulling right. towards your head yeah <laughs> Thank you. I really (laughs) appreciate it. Uh, Make sure to get your free stock at public.com. Check out on Instagram, JLSACLBY.
2: You'll be linked in the description. Guys, follow me on Instagram. And with that uh, (laughs) said, until (laughs) next next time. time. Thanks,
0: man.